Please note, this episode contains very strong language and discussion of difficult and sensitive topics. If there are children present, or if you're sensitive to strong language, please turn off now. Otherwise, relax and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 48 of the Sprue Cutters Union. My name is Chris Meddings. With me, as always, I have Tracy Hancock. Hello. And Will Patterson. Sup, gangsters. Uh, later on, we'll be having quite an interesting discussion, <laughs> which uh, you should stick around for. <laughs> and after yes. that, we have a fantastic interview with Sophie Rose, uh, a modeler who's done all kinds of interesting stuff from military to sci-fi and more, and posts as Rose Model Works on Instagram. And uh, she joins us for a chat about all kinds of stuff, uh, including some really important things you should also stick a around really, for. A really good chat. She's, yeah. She was just a great guest. You, you, know, you guys are going to... We were all fucking gutted because Tracy couldn't join us. And uh, really, I think Tracy was would probably have handled it better than either of us. So. Oh, <laughs> I, really, I, I, le- I, legit, I legit felt bad. Like I was like missing my right arm or something. I just, you know. The worst part, so just to give everyone out in listener land a little uh, background about what was going on is I, I was having some sort of technical difficulty, maybe with the Riverside interface or something where everyone, I could hear everyone. Uh, but on the screen, um, when I would come into the session, I could see everyone, but then after a few seconds, their screens would all go blank and I could hear everyone, but no one could hear me. So when you guys started the interview, I was talking to her. Like I was, I was adding (laughs) things because it took me probably five minutes to realize because one of you guys were like, well... I mean, you thought we were ignoring you. <laughs> yeah, not, not that I, I thought I was. Not that I thought I was not being that we ignored. Would ever do that. <laughs> but I, I suddenly realized because one of you guys were, were like, and this was before the actual recording started. You're like, um, I wish Hancock could be here, and I'm like, I am here. Hey, hello, hello. Um, and I was it's like, a wonderful life. I'm uh, here. I'm here. Yeah. Oh, I was really pissed off. Um, because I, I like what I could hear initially was like Star Wars, archaeology, and I was just like, yes, yes, I want to talk about these things. <laughs> and then Chris sent a, a an edit of the interview that I got to listen to, and that really had just made it worse. It just made it worse because it was such a good conversation that I really it wanted really to be was. a part of. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's unfortunate I, I wasn't able to be part of the interview and, and super frustrating on my end, but... Um, just the fact that I'm I'm so irritated that I wasn't a part of it should tell you how good the interview is. Usually we'd reschedule or something, but we'd already rescheduled once, and then we had to change the time as well, and it was kind of becoming a bit of a thing. So, uh, unfortunately, we had to just plow on. So sorry about that. Yeah. And I think I think that's legitimately the only episode, the only time. I mean, we've had a couple of situations with guests that we had to really work hard to get around, but. That's the only time we've been fully kanked by by technology issue with one of us. So I yeah. don't know. I guess it was due. I guess it was coming. You know, nearly fifty episodes and it hadn't happened yet. But yeah, it's two continents man. as well and three time mm-hmm. zones. You know, so. yeah. And you know, made it doubly worse because I had missed the the episode before from being in Australia. So like, yeah. I was rare. Oh, yeah, to welcome go. back. 
Yeah, yeah, I've been back for a while. <laughs> I've been back long enough to deal with jet lag and COVID. Um, yeah, but this is the first time you've properly managed to record since before you went. Yeah, yeah, it is. Since I got back, yeah. Great trip. Uh, wonderful place. Lots of fantastic things. But Jesus Christ, what a fucking travel, man. That mm-hmm. that was brutal. Brutal travel. Um, why, don't you, uh, why don't you go first? Tell us what you've been up to. Uh, okay, well, went to Australia. Um, Will, don't do the accent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> went to Sydney for a couple of days where we didn't know anyone, just to get kind of acclimated and to the time change and all that kind of stuff, and explored a little bit of Sydney, which I liked a lot. And then uh, uh, spent couple, almost two weeks down in Melbourne uh, with... Um, my wife and I have uh, uh, some friends of ours who have moved there for work and then, you know, got to double my enjoyment by hanging out with Sam Dwyer for not enough time, but it was the time that we had was really great. Um, other than that, uh, to keep it model related, um, I've been cruising along on the Panther. Uh, got the, I don't even remember the last time we talked about it, where I was, but I got all the chipping done, and I got my deep chipping and sort of uh, grunged-in grime done with uh, just neat uh, burnt umber oil paint. And now I've started on the base because I need to figure out what the ground color is going to be so I can start the weathering on the tank. Right. Uh, anyone bought anything lately? I've got three Tacom Hetzers. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about those. The uh, the early and the so uh, for those that don't know, Tacom has released a new uh, Hetzer with full interior. They've released early, mid, and late. Um, early, mid, and late basically break down because changes and modifications to the vehicle, like a lot of vehicles, was done uh, as the vehicle was being produced. The entire time it was being produced, so the early, mid, and late distinctions are really based around the paint schemes. Early would have been left the factory with its certain characteristics painted in Dunkelgelb and then uh, painted in a, a camouflage scheme at a depot. The mid would leave the factory with you know modified set of changes and ambush camo, uh, either Skoda or BMM uh, specific. And then the late <clears throat> would be uh, what left the factory with its own modifications and everything with the BMM or um, Skoda late or three color camouflage scheme. So the mid and the late have specific camouflage schemes. Um, and they're not easy, which is why you see them replicated correctly on models pretty infrequently. But <clears throat> the uh, in terms of what can be built out of the box m- the most accurately... Um, Because I think that's the question most people are going to want to know is like, which one should I buy if I'm only going to buy one? Mm. If you're only going to buy one, the late gives you almost completely out of the box an accurate late war Skoda built Hetzer. There's one little thing that needs to be modified, the location of the antenna tube on the the side of the hull. That's it. Otherwise, you can open the box and build that as a Skoda machine. If you want to build it as a BMM machine, there's modifications that need to be made. Um, there's a couple of things that, you know, like there's a, they 
they used a post-war example for a couple of things. So there's a, a drain plug on the front of the final drive that it's just one piece that gets glued on a little, uh, the, the little lug nut that drains the, the final drive. That's only on late on um, post-war machines. So you can leave that little bit off. And did you, did, I'm always just amazed at how much detail you guys know between different versions, but did you literally just call out the difference in the location of the oil drain plug? Well, I mean, wartime, come on. wartime machines do not have it, and post-war machines do. <laughs> you just—I'm saving you time, man. You don't have to glue two little pieces on. Yeah, you're not talking about. I mean, it's, something uh, here. it's you're just leaving it it's, off. It, I mean, it's it's awesome. I respect it, but come on, you got to admit that is really rivet counting right there. I mean, that is that is. Well, you want an accurate model or not? Knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, it's um, cool. I'm not. I'm not hating. Which. Something's either accurate or it's not accurate. It's an all or nothing. It's right. like I saw someone today who I happen to know um, is really into his colors, and he gets really bent out of shape if an aircraft is the wrong color. But well, he's not that, that bothered about not yeah. adding brake lines and stuff like that. It's either accurate or it's not. Yeah, that's just silly. That's, sure. Yeah, physical physical accuracy is an absolute. It's objective. Right. And in this case, the, the great thing is all you have to do to make it a slightly more accurate model in the end is not glue two pieces on. So, I mean, it's not like you're asking people to, or, or telling people they have to add something, scratch build something, 3D print something in order to make it more accurate. Just don't don't glue those on. You'll be all right. Um, this is what magazine articles are for, isn't it? Yeah. If it's a well-written article that covers all this stuff, you can pick it up and you know exactly what to do. Yeah. And they also give you the commander, the... the um, the radio set that's mounted on the inside of the left sponson um, for the command vehicle, but they don't give you any of the other things to make it a command vehicle. So, again, just don't don't add those. You know, less things to glue. But overall, it's it seems like it's a good kit. It's going to need a little a little help from some aftermarket, and I know that uh, the guy, um, my buddy at Panzer Work, is is working on some stuff because. Me and a couple of other people are, are helping him with some designs for some correction stuff. But, I mean, overall, it's it's the best kit on the market right now. Um, I guess the only one, the Italeri is probably still floating around out there. Hmm. Um, the Tamiya is very expensive uh, and, and pretty limited in what you can produce with it. So I think it's worth getting. And for people who are just looking for one boxing to get that'll build them the most accurate um then get the late i don't think it's any secret that tacom do the molding for andy's uh hbhq with the 116th stuff um i wonder if they'd look at doing a 116th hetzer that'd be a good kit uh yeah i mean it would be it would be a good vehicle to do it, it because the size of the vehicle isn't so big um it just like if they're just going to scale up what they've got, then you're just going to have, you know, the same problems but in a larger scale. But if they were willing to like tackle it <laughs> and and fix some of those things before they blow it up to one sixteenth, that would be fun. For sure. Oh well, by the way, the uh, coffee in Australia, fucking amazing. Yes, yeah, that's what I hear. I that's mean, I hear. 
I mean, it's a long way to go for a cup of coffee, though. <laughs> it is, but at the same time, they, you know, on the airplane, they served us Starbucks on the way home, and we couldn't even drink it. <laughs> like, well, it's not really yeah, coffee, is it? But that's, yeah, that's airplane. Yeah, airplane coffee is not a fair comparison. Now, I did see, I saw two Starbucks in Sydney and two Starbucks in Melbourne. They were both kind of in malls, and everybody that was getting anything from them was like, they were. 20 years old and they were drinking like crazy foo-foo, you know, uh, whipped cream drinks. Um, but, but they were not at the airport. Like that, yeah. I saw no Starbucks other than those, but you could get, you could be sitting in a coffee place looking at two other places to get coffee. Like it, coffee is everywhere there. Um, and it, it was a great trip, but well, that's cool. I'm super jelly that you got to hang out with the Sam Dwyer in person. I know that had to be a lot of fun. It was. It was. He was a great host and, and uh, just it's just a lot of fun and like getting to geek out and like, pull, like pull that out of the cabinet. Let me look at that. Pull that out of the cabinet. Let me look at that. Um, and just being able to like. Unfinished models. <laughs> no, he's got, you know, the bottom half of his cabinet's unfinished. The top half, there's plenty of finished models in he there. He finishes a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Good stuff. Right, well, we'll, we'll come back to you later because uh, that's going to lead into our topic. So mm, um, since yeah. we last spoke, uh, I've been working on the secret project. <gasps> uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is, <laughs> but I built something with a box. And uh, I did my favorite thing I do when I build a box, like building supports in it to keep it square and everything else. And then usually... What well, came loose? Something always comes loose, so I make a little fucking rattle. <laughs> Am I going to open it up and take it out? Am I fuck? That's just going to be a little rattle. Yeah, I would drill. A, I would drill a hole in there and fill it full of Goo. fill it full of future future or something. Yeah, it's got but that's a floor wax. Will, what are you doing? <laughs> It's not a wax. <laughs> Future acrylic enamel. <laughs> acrylic enamel lacquer. <laughs> so anyway, I've been doing that. But also, as, as people who follow me on Facebook will know, I, um, you poor fuckers, I also um, finished a little tiny two-figure, I suppose you call it a vignette, but um, I'm going to enter it at SMC. Wait, 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 you call it a what? Vignette. <laughs> vignette, vignette, Thank vignette. You. <laughs> do you know? I know it's vignette, and I always say, Vic, why the fuck do I do that? You're right. Well done. So um, it's kind of it's kind of like in one of our favorite books. You and I both share a love for Adrian Tchaikovsky's stuff, and you know the yep. whole the whole Architect series. Yeah. Did you listen to it on audio, or did you read read it? I listened to it on audio. So it, it probably it probably didn't bother you that the entire three novels, the narrator, she's great, but mm. it's hegemony. It's not hegemony. <laughs> it's it hegemony. is in the UK. Yeah, the whole time I was. It's like there's even in comments the UK, about hegemony. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, you're free to be wrong, but you know. And you're free to be is. wrong. It's just different. <laughs> and it's an English narrator, so deal with it. That is that is true. And an English writer, so suck it up, buck up. <laughs> you guys really I've never I, I, I actually didn't know I mean I've never asked. You guys actually say it with a hard G? Yeah, hegemony, yeah. That's just weird. Um 
I actually listened to, we're going to divert here a bit. I did listen to an audio book <laughs> that he wrote and he read it himself and his voice is totally not what I thought. I thought it'd be rather sonorous like this. And actually it's quite high like this. <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> Fucking what? <laughs> There's a funny thing actually. If you listen to the, um, he's turning to book club again. If you listen to, uh, the children of series, children of time, children mm. of ruin, children of memory, yeah. the actress that reads it, is married to um, someone who's on British TV a lot, and the impression she, do- uh, the voice she does for uh, Rana Kern, is basically an impression of her wife. It's really funny. <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> yeah, it's very, very imperious. <laughs> it's like, that's who she is on TV, and it's like, oh, blimey! <laughs> I wonder if she's heard it. Anyway, uh, models. So yeah, I finished a little vignette. Of uh, have to get have to like vault fast now from joking about it to getting serious because of what it's about, which was um, a soldier in a trench holding his dead uh, comrade uh, in like a embrace kind of thing, and um, I, I spoke to a lot of people about it as I was doing it. I need to thank uh, Ilya Sobolev for his advice on the colours and everything because at one point I painted the flak jacket uh, sort of an olive colour, which is totally wrong because that's the colour the Russians wear and. Um, it should be what they call coyote. Have I pronounced that right? That's an American word, right? Coyote. Which is more of a sort of a dark tan. So uh, I had to repaint that. But, um, I mean, in the end, I, I, I spoke to a few people about it. They all gave me really good advice, and I'm pretty happy with how it came out. So Should be. Yeah. So um, how much of that did you sculpt yourself? That one I didn't really sculpt any, but neither of those were stock figures. Um. Each of them had parts from four different figures across three different sets. So they they were cobbled together, and then you um, you kind Filled of the putty and yeah, yeah, married them all together. Like one of them, the the guy that's dead, his right leg came from a set where someone had crossed legs. So there was a big groove down one leg where the other leg crossed over it. So I had to fill that in and redo the folds and that sort of thing. But that's about the worst of it. Oh, and hornet heads because hornet heads are the fucking ball. Yeah, I forgot how much fun they are to paint. They just they make you look like a good painter, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I use the AK Interactive skin set, which is really good. The third gen? You know, it's yeah, it's like four colours. Shadow flesh, base flesh, light flesh and highlight. And it just basically... And of course I blended them and I added... For the dead guy, I added a little bit of blue for his lips. And I I um went from... Uh, mostly from the mid-tone up and didn't really use the shadow. Because the shadow flesh gives a sort of a pinkish glow to all the colours you put on afterwards. And of course, I didn't want him to look vital, should we say, so I made him more sort of grey and pallid. Yeah. Um, and I used some hands from uh, Royal model the set? AFE modeler ah. set. The Royal model set, I got some great hands from them. They're yeah. really good. I'm not, no, I'm not sure. The Reality 3D, I think they're called. Not Royal model, the ones I got. But they're bigger. They're bigger than 135th hands. So you can't mix them. You can't have one hand of that and one hand from ah. another set because they're different sizes. You either use both or use two different ones. Yeah. Do you know what they, I mean? They don't look... people can have big hands, but they don't usually have one ten percent bigger than the other. Right, but they don't they don't appear uh, too big for a figure if they're both the hands that are on the figure. Um, yeah, I've done. There's a some figures I've worked on recently have both hands from that. Yeah. Sam used the set for the the figure on his Panther diorama, and they're really really fine. They're yeah. really delicate and fine and very nice. Yeah, their fingernails and everything. Yeah. Really nicely yeah. sculpted. That is 3D. De- that is 3D printed. Yeah, yeah. 
but uh, the, veins the, on the back of the well, hand. The fingers are, are thin mm. enough, like you know, the, like mm. they're they're more proportionate than a lot of hands that you get stock with kits, you know. I generally use stock hands as gloved hands now because they're a bit chunkier. Yeah, yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. Anyway, so that's that. I also got the Roden um, Opal Blitz Ludwig Aero bus, which is really funny. It looks like a pig at the front end and a space rocket at the back end because it's got a big fin and a big round nose. Yeah, it's a cool-looking uh, Art Deco I'm, bus. Yeah, that's Roden, and I'm building that for um, Guidelines Truck Magazine, so uh, look out for that in the future. And they've said I can do it civilian, which I really want to do because you get those lovely sort of ice cream van colours in the 30s. Yeah. Stuff like that, so yeah, you know, nice pastel pinks and yellows and stuff. What's what's going on with you and the A twenty? Uh, it seems to have kind of fallen off the radar. Yeah, I'm struggling with it. I am still working on it. Um, once I finish the secret project, I'm dropping everything else <laughs> to finish that. The bus is going to be built in a week. It's not going to be a particularly involved thing. There's not a lot of parts. It should be built and finished in a week. There might be a lot of swearing though. <laughs> yes, Roden, yeah. But, I mean, actually, for Roden, it's pretty good. The only thing I'll probably do... Well, I won't put the no-tech light on anyway because it's going to be a civilian bus and it don't have no-tech lights. But stuff like that on it is a little bit clunky. But the, the main parts are actually really nice. They're pretty good. It's got rubber wheels, though. Yeah. But, well, just use them. But, vinyl rather. Well, but it was... It, you might be able to find resin replacements because they were used... Uh, they were impressed into service, so... Well, it's an Opal truck chassis anyway, so it's got Opal truck wheels on yeah. But I probably won't. I'll probably just build it out of the box because I think it's like a review build kind of thing and I think people like to see it, mm. what you can do with what's in the box for stuff like that from, you know. Yeah. And also, less time, less money. <laughs> just get it, get it done. So, all right. So, uh, I think that's everything for me. So, over to you, Will. What about you? <laughs> well... I think uh, you know you guys know what I've been up to because um, last week was the IPMS Nationals here in the good old US of A, and so I've been spending you know lots of time getting ready and packed up and trying to finish the puzzle uh, because that was kind of my one thing you know that I I really wanted to do. Um, and I got that finished. I made a terrible little base for it. I mean, it, it's, I think it was not a bad idea, but the execution didn't come out great. I used some, I used some of my favorite Watco Danish oil because I wanted to make like just a kind of an irregular patch of dirt on a square base. Mm -hmm. And, and the square base was a bit over large. It was like a 10 inch square and the plane is like, you know, six or seven inches. Uh, but (laughs) It was a matter of time. Like I didn't have time to do anything more, and I uh, these these little uh, ready they're 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 art boards you get off Amazon, and they're just made out of poplar. Uh, so it's like a little square, a little frame. You can get different shapes and different sizes, but but it's a rectangle of of framing with like a one eighth poplar plywood sheet on top of it, and they make super nice quick little bases. And they take a stain or, you know, like Watco Danish oil really well. Um, but it just didn't get dark enough because I wanted the dirt part to be light and the wood part to be kind of a mahogany. And it just didn't. I needed a more aggressive stain. Anyway, people were giving me a hard time about the base, which was not unwarranted. But fortunately, at an IPMS contest, uh, the bases don't really matter. 
And uh, so, anyway, aside from that, I got all I got everything packed up, got ready to go. Um, I even got a uh, kind of a cool little uh, carrying case for the uh, for the Musaru Mustang uh, built up because um, after uh, uh, well later now that it's back home from IPMS, you guys convinced me to ship it off to you for SMC, and so. I made its traveling case something that hopefully can survive a transatlantic journey. Um, so anyway, I mean, uh, you know, so I got, I, 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 and I was uh, actually, my buddy Justin Lentz and I were supposed to road trip to Austin together. It's about a nine hour drive and, and he, I had to pass right through Lubbock and I was going to pick him up, but the universe had other plans, and I ended up uh, uh, road tripping all by myself. So that was a bit of a hike. Um, but uh, and and so then after you know road tripping down there by myself and whatever it was, three or four days of pretty intense activity, and then road tripping back, I am spanked. I got I got no juice left. So how'd you do so. with the nets, Will? <laughs> Oh, well, there's that. Um, yeah, so I took, it was kind of a thing for everybody who was driving to just like load up all their, like their whole display case. Like I think Justin took something like 17 models and Gabe Pinselli hmm. took like 30 and, you know, everybody just like packed it in and I was no exception. I took seven things. I took uh, three, my three most uh, recent busts, I think. Did not get any recognition there, which was not unexpected. And and honestly, the only reason I took so many was because it's super easy to put a bunch of them in one box. And I intended to give away two of them, which I did. Um, I got to spend quite a bit of time with our good buddy John Colasante and his uh, daughter was there and she was the best. I think she was like maybe everybody's favorite part of the show who got to meet her. She, she was there because she's an equestrian. And so she was spending a lot of time while all of us were whining and pissing and moaning about how fucking hot it was. Cause it was literally over a hundred every afternoon. She was out in the, in the bush riding horseback <laughs> And, you know, not ever appearing to be the worst for the wear. Anyway, John helped me get all my models set up on the tables, which was a big, big help. Can't can't thank him enough because getting them out of the boxes and onto the tables was is tough for me. And anyway, so I gave him my Viking bust. And then our uh, buddy John Everett was there and super cool and fun to hang out with him as always. And uh, I passed on one of my one of my busts to him. Um, I also took, so I took the Musaru Mustang, I took the, the, the PZL, I took one of my older Machine and Krieger projects, a uh, Falca, actually a Griffin, uh, put it on a, just a quick base with some magnets, and uh, I took uh, a little case, the Thunder Models case VAI tractor uh, workshop vignette that I made uh, like, I don't know, six years ago, something like that. Um, anyway, it got a second in automotive uh, dioramas, uh, which was the only place to put it. The word tractor literally appears nowhere in any IPMS category description. 
Um, I put the uh, I put the Machine and Krieger thing in the science fiction vehicles, and it got a second. And the Pizzle, which I very, very purposefully used as a exercise to get out of my comfort zone, not do much, if any, weathering, and to really build what I consider to be the IPMS style. Like I told Justin Lentz, I blatantly copied his style. The whole time I was the whole the whole time I was building and painting that thing, I was like WWJD, you know. <laughs> and uh uh it, it won. It won the uh 148th radial allied radial engine uh category, which actually was split. It was the biggest category of everything. It had something like 52 entries. And they split it into uh, U.S. Navy and everything else. <laughs> and it still had, like, I think it was 28 and 24, respectively. So, yeah. Uh, and the hardware that they gave out, I was really, really super cool. Rob Booth gets all the credit um, for that. They're belt buckles. Because, you know, Texas. Yeah. So they yeah. look like rodeo belt buckles. Yeah. And they're they're legitimately cool. Like they're small enough that you could, I don't know, like you could mount it on your own sort of plaque if you wanted to. Uh, you know, it's just way better than some you know plexiglass and wood sort of trophy thing. Um, so anyway, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but but there were some differences uh, from last year. Um, like last year, I treated the whole thing as like just it was a mission. Right, like I was gonna go and take a thousand pictures, and I was gonna judge, and I was gonna look at all the models. It was all about the models. But unfortunately for me, uh, and I mean, you know, anybody else in a in a using a mobility scooter or a wheelchair, they raise the tables. Um, that's one of the things that they do at Model Fiesta, and which is the same guys who, who who put on the nationals this year, they put these risers under them that are 12 inches tall, which I totally get why everybody loves that. Cause if I were walking around normally and having to bend over to look and take pictures, yeah, having it 12 inches closer to your face would be great. But when you're in a mobility scooter, it puts everything right at eye level and it's just not good. It doesn't work. And so that took me out of the judging and really, I only spent maybe a total of an hour. Uh, Rob was super cool. He let me get in there um, like after hours when there were no crowds because the room was about, uh, I don't know, maybe two-thirds, three-quarters the size of the room last year. And the aisles between the tables were like three feet wide. Right. I mean, it was super crowded. It was very narrow, wasn't it? It was. And so with people in there and, you know, people, the, one of the worst things about that fucking mobility scooter is it's so stealthy. Like people don't, and, and I, you know, I'm lower down, people don't notice. They don't see you coming. They just back right into you. And I just didn't want to be in there. And even when I was in there by myself for an hour, it was just so difficult to, to see anything that I just, I, I took like maybe a dozen pictures. But what that meant was that I got to make it all about the people. And so I spent the whole time just visiting, hanging out, um, 
Matt McDougall and myself and my best friend who lives in Austin all went on a mountain bike ride on Saturday morning, which was really great. You know, we just, I, it was just a whole different experience for me. And overall, it was, it was really good. Really good. Uh, just a couple of quick facts. Um, they had 3,110 entries. So, and Rob said that was too short of, of tying the record. Yeah, so I'm like, you know, come on, Justin. If you'd only brought three more, <laughs> they would have broken the record. It's your fault, dude. Um, you know, and they had uh, they did they did don't have attendance numbers yet, but it was pretty packed. Um, this was the first time since I think 2000 that the Nationals has been in Texas. The last time was in Dallas. And this one, they, they started bidding on this one in 2018. And then they got kanked when they were supposed to have it in 2020 because of COVID. I think everybody kind of knows that. But um, so so this was, you know, much anticipated, um, a big, you know, big deal. Um, and I think this hotel was maybe a little small, but Rob told me, he's like, yeah, we know. But it was the right size when we bid this thing. But attendance has been coming up and uh, and so it, it ended up being a little too small uh, you know but there's not really anything they could do about that uh, but but I think that the show crew they did they did a great job Rob and his gang are, are you know Dana Mathis the president of Alamo uh, IPMS they just you know they, they, they they're a sharp crew they did a great job the one thing that I got to participate in uh, that was that was kind of cool on Friday afternoon we had the same podcast roundup that we had uh, that they've had the last couple of years where they just kind of put all the podcasters up in a, like a panel and they let the audience, you know, it's like meet the podcasters live kind of a thing. And, uh, uh, Bob, Bob bear, uh, hosted that. And that was fun. Um, I, uh, you know, we all got some good laughs. I, I took, <laughs> I took it as an opportunity to get rid of some kits <laughs> I had uh I had some stuff uh specifically like I had an Arma Hobbies uh 172nd uh Wildcat that Greg sent me that I told him straight up, bro, I'm not building this. <laughs> like one one seventy seconds Arma Kit is enough. <laughs> nah, yeah. And then I had the extra Musaru Mustang box that I had to buy because I screwed up the, the machine guns and you you know, we weren't allowed to scratch build them, so I had to buy a whole other kit just to get the Get the little tiny gun inserts. And then I had a, uh, uh, so anyway, I gave those away at the podcast gathering. I, I did a who, you know, show of hands. Who's an aircraft builder? Um, who's a, who doesn't think 172nd is the dumbest thing ever? <laughs> and there were so many hands. And it finally came down to who are SMCG listeners? <laughs> and, and so I gave away both of those kids to a you couple mean of guys. SCU there. listeners. SCU, yeah, I probably said uh, unless you've taken. Uh, yeah. I already think they're the same thing. Yeah, and I probably and I probably said that made the same mistake when I did it out loud. I think they recorded it, so we'll get a chance to find out. But anyway, that was fun. And then I had another one. I had a uh, um, uh, the Sherman, the Tamiya one forty eight Sherman that I had uh, built last year. Still haven't painted, but I had spilled glue on the tracks and ruined them. At least for me, I wasn't going to try and fix them. And so I bought another one. And so 
um, I was carrying it around with me. And there was a kid there who was at the podcast gathering last year. And he asked all these great questions. And last year, they 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 were, were giving out kits to people who asked really good questions. And this kid was so enthusiastic and so smart. And he, he, he ended up, you know, getting a bunch of free kits. Anyway, I saw him and his dad walking around. His name is Charlie. Charlie, if you're out there, glad to see you, buddy. And so I had a good conversation with him. How old was he? I Charlie is maybe eleven. I hope I got that he probably right. Probably shouldn't be listening to the show. <laughs> maybe not. He's maybe not. But 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 he's a he's a sharp kid, and so he and his dad were walking around, and and so I was I just chatted him up, and he said, "Well, yeah, I'm building Soviet armor," and I was like, "Well, that's super specific. Could you do a Sherman in Soviet colors?" And he, of course, was like, "Heck yeah!" So I gave him the Sherman kit. So nice. it was great. Yeah. That didn't buy a goddamn thing. Didn't spend a single. I, unfortunately, I didn't even have time to go in the vendor room. But uh, yeah, got rid of three kits. So for me, that was a win <laughs> all by itself. So yeah. But I got to spend a lot of time with our friends, Matt McDougal in particular, who has joined us as uh, a, what's up, yeah Mesh? what's up and it's yeah. been very kindly being really quiet in the background <laughs> yes as a, <laughs> as, a, as a surprise guest so hopefully you didn't get tired of seeing my stupid face over the last five days and you can hang out with us for a few minutes and talk about the contest yeah totally all right, before we get into that, that's our discussion topic this week, all about the uh, IPMS show, the contest, everything else. Let's have a little ad break, uh, and then we'll be right back. Hello, hello. This is Tom Arnish of Arnish Models, interrupting this great podcast for an annoying ad again. If you need high-precision tools, 3D models, decals, or resin parts for hyper-detailing, and I'm sure you do, then just visit my webshop www.anish.io A-N-Y-Z dot I-O Low-priced worldwide shipping and even free shipping for many countries available. And believe it or not, all orders above 50 euros qualify for a free decal sheet of your choice. So, hurry up! See you on the interwebs on anish.io. Friends, we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Tetra Model Works, SMS Paints, the Scale Modeler Supply, and Anis Models for all their support. We'd also like to thank our Patreon patrons for supporting the Sprue Cutters Union. Your contributions are what makes it possible to deliver this show to the thousands of people that download it every week. You pay for hosting, recording, software, mics and equipment and everything we need to keep it going and we appreciate you more than we can say. We'd like to welcome this month's new patrons, Louis K and Rob V and send a special thanks to the patrons who have been supporting us for so long, some from the very beginning. We never take you guys for granted and we always appreciate your faith in us. If you'd like to sponsor the show as a paid advertiser, you can email me at sprucuttersunion at gmail.com. If you'd like to become a Patreon, you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash sprucuttersunion, which you can also find a link to in the show notes. Two questions. One, why didn't you enter those three boxed kits and punch the numbers above? 
the average. Just enter them <laughs> box and all, just to punch the numbers up. And yeah. And two, would you have been happier with the awards if you could wear the belt buckle? <laughs> I mean, I, first place, I, right? I mean, no, they're all the same size, but I mean. I it's it's like a it's like a half size. It looks like a real belt buckle, but it's like a oh, half size. The category winners that got um the actual because there was actual belt buckles, wasn't there? But not for everyone. The best aircraft, best auto, etc. Yeah. Those were yeah, those were full yeah, oh, full size. Cool. Yeah, that's that's yeah. really cool. yeah. They're yeah, they really are. Yeah. So so anyway, it's good to have you here, Matt. Yeah. And you wrote you wrote uh, a great post. Um, you know, kind of breaking down your thoughts uh, about the contest. And so anyway, it just made me think, you know what, who better to have uh, hang out with us for a few minutes and kind of break it down for all the peeps. Yeah, totally. It's one of my, one of my things is my, uh, my post Nats takes. Uh, they're, they're always yeah. fun. They always tend to uh, stir the pot a little bit. So. And, and rightfully so. I think we should say USA Nats, like the UK Nats. Yeah, yeah. There's always a bit of a post-match Festivus, should we say, <laughs> of animated <laughs> online discussion. <laughs> but I thought yours was really measured. I really enjoyed reading that. Well, yeah, it was. It was good. But before we get into those details, you know, what was your overall experience? I mean, I just, you know, spent 15 minutes breaking down my kind of personal observations about the whole event. What, you know, what, what did you think and how did you do? Because I know you got some hardware too, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess that's – I'll go through that first because that's probably easiest to remember. Um, so I brought 17 things total. I actually brought <laughs> – it's, it's, it was 45 minutes away. It's never going to be that close that's, ever again. That, so, yeah, that's true. Um, Another why, did, why didn't you bring 20? It's your fault. I know, they, right? You know. If, if, if they had their shit together enough to have like a live count, I would have known and I could have just brought a couple more things. There you go. That's uh, a great suggestion. Yeah. I mean, like I brought 15 and then I was walking around tables. I was like, submarines look kind of light. I've got a submarine at home. I never painted the damn base, so I just like sprayed the base NATO black that morning and threw it in the back of the car and drove down. And, um, and didn't it like win the category or something? It got second in the category. Yeah. And and the the funny thing is like I spent two maybe two and a half weeks building that thing. Like that's it. Um, it, it was it was well yeah it's a submarine it's a tube yeah a bit it was the definition of a slammer build and it got second. Um, my red R thirty five tank from the tank the rainbow thing mm-hmm. won. It's like split of a split category so it's you know there were three entries total so it was getting something no matter what but uh it, it came away with first and so my, you got a so you got a participation award is what you exactly, said totally got a participation <laughs> award um, hey and then, if it came away with third that'd be one thing but it got first yeah, so yeah. you know it was the best of the participation awards. Um, <laughs> the most participatory. The best, the best attender. I, I just loved it. It, it. it somehow snuck through. Um, and then my 132nd ME262 got third in 132nd Jets. And my uh, Tamiya F4B won best marine aircraft, which uh, walking around looking at all the, I think they were the blue stickers that were for that. There were a lot of those, so I'm kind of curious to see what the what the final count was there. But I think that's the one that, to me, I'm like, okay, that was cool. Like it was that was a nice recognition. Well, I think it's cool that yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well done. I, well, that's both of you. Yeah, yeah really well done. I think it's cool that your that your ME262 got some recognition because that's always been one of my favorite things that you've done. Yeah, mine it's, too. It's what? Yeah, it's it's wonderful. So. See, I look at it now and I'm like, it's 10 years old and I see a lot of flaws, but um, I guess other people didn't. So 
the thing the thing about it that kind of cracks me up though and we have to put a picture of it on the on the page is that it's a it's it's depicts a, a, an me 262 post-war in a like like a swiss wheat field or yeah, something it's, it's off it's and, like off an airfield outside of innsbruck or something like that so. and the landing gear has collapsed so all of that shit about the wheels being straight and the wings being level. I mean, it, I, I, that that had to short circuit some poor IPMS judge's brain. <laughs> yeah, that one was that one was a fun one. Um, and I'm I'm still kind of sad the intruder didn't get any recognition, but I'm sure that there's is something not, in there. Yeah, that. that's that's not just sad. That's just absurd. Is what that is. I mean, you know, I. You know I love that thing, and being able to sit in the bar after the awards ceremony on Saturday night and get a really finally get a really close look at that thing, yeah, dude, that it's it's it is an absolute masterpiece, uh, and it it I will say right here, you could put a ruler on that thing. It doesn't have any of those sort of standard IPMS build flaws. You got fucked on weathering on that deal, no doubt. Or maybe there was a bomb that was. You know, because they were on multiple ejector racks and they didn't realize that they mm. they don't all. I looked. <laughs> I looked. Nope, nothing crooked. Yeah, it was a. Uh, but I mean, it was it was still great being able to bring it, and there were a lot of people who got to see it in person for the first time, and you know that thing was the subject of a what, like seventy part video series. So uh, you know, it's it's fun to fun to get people to see it in person and be like, oh shit, okay, there was a lot of work that went into this. Um, let's see. Other than that, the uh, I think the most interesting thing for me for this Nats was that it was local, because that meant I got to drive back and forth every day, and I got to deal with the uh, the fallout of kind of telling my family that I was going to be just suddenly unavailable for like four days. Um, you know, right after we had gotten done getting over COVID and kind of being stuck in the house for two weeks, um, you know, finally get to go back out, and it's like that next week, it's like okay, I'm out. Um, so that was that was interesting. Uh, but you know, thankfully, everybody kind of, kind of muddled through, and I think we're we're back to a nice nice place now. We uh, we all got out to see Barbie on Sunday, so that was nice. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, it, as 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 per like Nats last year, the highlight was just hanging out with everyone, geeking out for a couple of days over models. Um, you know, the the meals, the the sitting in the bar, watching the award ceremony, like all that stuff. Those were the highlights. the The contest itself, it's like whatever it was it was a thing um i've learned a long time ago just not put too much stock into ipms judging and not you know you have to have like some bemused detachment about the whole thing or else it just drives you crazy so yeah yeah for sure i you know people were kind of joking they'd come up to me and say hey patterson you got you, you won some hardware this is going to totally ruin your <laughs> ruin your reputation <laughs> I was, like yeah, I I kind of don't know what to say about it. It's uh, yeah, but I'll get to that. If you take your wins as unseriously as you take your lo- your losses, then you're consistent, aren't you? Sir? That's it, yeah. right there. That's it, right there. Uh, it's like they say about being a successful stock trader. You got to be. You got to react the same way whether you win or lose uh, under the current IPMS paradigm. Yeah. Now you know if I ship my if I ship the little tiny staying over to you to you guys and it goes to smc and i get a fucking bronze i'm gonna be legit proud of that because i know what the level of competition over there is 
is. So just, uh, you know, different deal. But I know people are going to say, oh, that means you don't respect the competition at an IPMS uh, show. And that's not what I'm saying. But I'll elaborate. Can I say that? I mean, you can say it. We're (laughs) going to say it. I don't respect the competition. Yeah. (laughs) You respect it enough to game the system and just be like, I'm going to build an IPMS style model and see how I do. And you got first. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, you, so it, you it proved kinda, your point basically. Yeah, it kind it kind of does. I mean, it's n equals one, so it's you know limited statistical proof, but but it does kind of prove a point. But when I say I don't respect the like don't not respect the competition, I mean the event, not the fellow competitors. I want to make that really clear. Yeah. Um, Even the event, but you know, by the sound of it, Rob and the guys that San Marcos put on a really great show. It's just. Yeah. Within the limited structure of how the competitions run yeah. uh, from a national um, yeah. direction. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So, all right. So, I should just say this. And I, because this is also kind of a response to some of the stuff that Matt was put put in his in his very well written post. So, you I, you guys know that I, I, I kind of got, I, I used to talk a lot of shit about IPMS and still do. But I also like to check my assumptions. Like, that's my engineer brain. You know, I want my opinion to at least have some basis behind it. And so about three years ago, I started, like I originally was thinking about going to the Vegas one. It seemed like driving driving distanceable. And so about three years ago, I started to really sort of study the topic, if you will, pay more attention to it, um, look, you know, read the rules. And then I had, you know, had opportunities to go be a judge, went to Model Fiesta and, and, and I did that all, I, I've done all of these things for two reasons. One was because, like I said, I wanted to test my assumptions. I wanted to see, like really get into it. If I'm going to talk shit about the judging, I got to go be a judge. So that was one reason. The other reason, though, was because kind of just journalistic, honestly, because it gives us something to talk about. It's good, you know, it's good podcast fodder. And so over that two or three year period, What's, you know, what have I learned? What's changed? And I'm curious to, to, to bounce this off of you, Matt. One thing that I definitely gained more respect for is the, is the builders, right? The other competitors, the, the work itself. Because the fact is that there was a lot more really impressive work at all of the events that I've been to than I expected to see based on what I'd seen in photos. I mean, that that's the straight up truth. And, you know, look, you can say what you want about the IPMS style and no weathering and whatever, but I personally think all styles are valid. It just, it, you know, it, it, it do what, you know, do what blows your skirt up in terms of style. It's, you know, but, but, execution is what really matters regardless of how you choose to you know portray your interpretation of whatever you're building and the execution at these shows has been very impressive i mean you know like you look at the work of gabe pincelli and and we've had on here justin lentz those guys are like the quintessential ipms style and i love their work so tight so well executed. I mean, I mean, between Gabe and Justin, I'm pretty sure they took away half of the first place awards available in aircraft. Uh, you know, you, you cannot deny the level of craftsmanship. 
Um, I mean, do, do you agree, Matt? Oh, totally. I mean, their stuff, their stuff is tight and clean and it's gorgeous to look at. It's not my personal style, but that doesn't mean I don't appreciate it. And it's not easy to do. I mean, no. look, I spent I spent the last four months working on this little PZL thing, you know, tearing my hair out with, you know, making sure that everything was tight, tight, tight. And it's it's not to say that if you're doing weathering or whatever that you have like room to get away with stuff, as some people uh, idiotically like to say. It's just that that uh, your entire focus is on everything and you it, it, like you get no like for me the weathering is the fun part that's when i start to relax and just really enjoy it and i never got that yes yeah. you know that's what made it hard for me was it was just it just it was like honestly it was like a gym workout it was like this is not fun this is just good for me <laughs> I, I i totally feel that i mean it's like i've been interested a lot lately in playing with color and really dialing up like the vividness of the color on subjects. And you don't get to do that in like chasing that sort of IPMS style or I, and I had, I hesitate to even call like what Gabe and Justin do is IPMS style. I think their shit's just awesome. It just, it yeah, just, it, I think illustrative is maybe my, maybe a better term. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a certain like, it's almost like a, like a platonic ideal of what these things are supposed to look like. Yeah, and and they pull that off exceptionally well, and a lot of the stuff they do goes way above and beyond what I would consider the IPMS style. You know, the like they do, you know, they do vary up their panel line washes, so it's not all the same color, so it's very subtle. You know, Justin does amazing cockpit work, great, you know, great stuff in there yeah. that does have like excellent shadow detail, excellent like an excellent sense of being lived in. It's it's not completely clean. Um, it's just, you know, the, the way they go about it is it's it overall, I think the word tight is perfect. It's a very tight execution. And it's one of those like yeah. you just can't find anything wrong with it. It it it's 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 a particular look. It's very pure, I guess. Yeah. Um like like you and I are worrying about the tone the color tones in an exhaust stain. Yeah. And what happens when dudes rub up against the exhaust stain with their trousers or handprints or or whatever you know whereas like those guys they're basically saying here's an exhaust stain like this is a representation of it and it and it 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 it, it creates just a completely different sort of look mm-hmm. and there's there's i don't know it, it, it's 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 like because there's less things for your eyes to try and focus on it has to be really tight to pull it off does that make sense that does i also think we we tend to veer towards a uh i mean at least i know i find the emotion of a piece in that sort of messiness about it like it's this Mm -hmm. very precise very crisp piece of technology and machinery and that's you know that's what it is but when you start adding the organic elements to it you know, it that that tells you that it's been through some shit. It's it's seen things, and it's experienced things, and it probably you know whoever was operating it or working on it probably has an emotional connection to it as well. And that to me, that's where it gets interesting, and that all comes through in like you know the paint touch-ups and the you know the dings near the wing roots and things like that. Like that's that's where it comes alive for me, and so that just doesn't 
that's not accounted for, frankly, at all in IPFS. Yeah, I, I agree. Maybe this is a good analogy. Hancock, you can help me with this. I, I'll probably fuck this up. But like to me, it's like comparing an, a, a, an opera singer with like rock and roll. Like with with rock and roll, you got all these instruments and all this rhythm and harmony and you get this emotion. Like I get this emotional response. It you know, gets, makes me want to you know, bounce my head and sing along. And if there's a mistake in there, I'm not going to know it because it's the overall experience. Whereas if there's an opera singer doing her thing and she gets out of pitch, even me as ignorant as I am, I'm going to hear that. Like she has to be so much better because what she's doing has so fewer elements. Does that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I think that's a pretty good analogy. I mean, the other thing I think I would say with, with work like Dave gave and Justin's is like, you're, what you're seeing from them is their pure love of the airframe. Right. right? It's mm-hmm. just like the shapes, the, the, just like, that's a fucking good looking airplane, man. Like it just, that's a cool fucking thing. And I'm going to build the best replica of that, that I can. Like that's, that's where that joy is. And you can see it in their work. Right. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. when I was scrolling through the pictures from the nets, I actually made a mental note to bring this up. There were several very clean aircraft that were so well done that I was just like, wow, that's really nice. Like I'm gonna yeah, throw I'm gonna throw absolutely. a like on that. Like it's yeah. like looking at things outside my own style preference is yeah, you know, I feel like a lot of people think if you're into weathering, that's all you can appreciate when that's not the case at all. Like mm-hmm. I think the pursuit of of real excellence in model making is something you can appreciate no matter where you are. If if your pursuit ends with making a, a replica, an, illust- an illustrative example of that really fucking cool airplane, and you make it just tight and beautiful, that's going to stop everybody in their tracks to look at it. You know, that's going to stop yeah. you mid scroll to look at that and appreciate that. And then, even if you're into weathering, like, but if weathering's your thing, you just you keep going after that point. You're just like, okay, that's that's pretty. But what's what's my thing? What makes my heart race is still down the line, you know. Like everybody's got their point where they stop and look at their work and and are like, okay, that's what I was after, you know. Or like, yeah, or like maybe I'm getting closer to what I'm pursuing. But that doesn't mean that you don't look at other people's work with those same glasses, and the only thing you can appreciate is what you're after in your own work. Like that's bullshit. You know, you, you can look at other people's work and be like, that's fucking hot. Like I, oh, yeah. I can't do that. Right. Like, and it, uh, you know, you recognize the level of skill that it takes to do that. Now, I think the argument that we pretty much always have with IPMS is they can't recognize the skill it takes to push it further and do that. Well, it's, it's all execution, right? You said it. I think that's the best term to use when you're talking about the end result of anybody's modeling work is what you're judging is the execution. And if they've done it well and they've done it simply, there's no, you've got nothing to complain about. Like there's no room for errors. There's no errors, you know? And, and if you, you know, if your execution extends further into weathering, well then that's, it's gotta be done really fucking well. It's not like slap some mud on to cover that seam. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) Like it takes skill to do this shit. Right. Yeah. And you can't do it. So you're going to make fun of it. 
while the rest yeah. of us and, can look at something that we can't do and be like, that's fucking hot. I can't do that, but I can appreciate like how well that's done. I mean, let, let's, let's, let's save this, some of this for talking about judging. Cause I've got thoughts on that. Yeah. Too. That's yeah. Yeah. That's coming. Cause there's sort of three things that I wanted to talk about that I've, that I've, that I've learned over this exercise, if you will, of delving into the IPMS thing. And, and, and the second thing is the people. I mean, fuck them. Look, hate them. They're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> what a People bunch of yeah. Assholes. What a really what are. a bunch of asshole. No, look. If you are getting your only impression of IPMS members from Facebook, <laughs> yeah, you probably might not come away with a great impression. I mean, let's face it. You know, if you hang out in the IPMS group and you listen to some of that horse shit. Yeah, it's going to be, at least for, you know, for, I think, our sort of circle, it's going to be pretty easy to come away with a less than impressed, uh, you know, point of view. But in real life, man, I, you know, just like guys like Rob Booth and, and like I said, Dana Mathis and just, you know, various random competitors that I've been able to talk to, um, I, I just... Man, that's been a great part of the experience. And I totally get now why so many people say, yeah, fuck the contest, man. It's all about seeing your friends. You know, I, I, I get that. And that's honestly, for me, that's a little bit different, you know, coming from a, like a motorcycle racing background. I mean, yeah, hanging out at the track with your buddies was great. The social part of it was awesome. But that's what we did on practice day. Race day was fucking race day, man. And you know, so that was a bit of an adjustment for me. And and also, I admit that I had allowed the social media filters to give me a, a distinct impression of what I felt like the typical IPMS, you know. Well, I mean, your analogy about race day, like, it's when you go to an IPMS or any kind of contest whatsoever, like a scale model contest, no matter where it is, you're not doing anything. At, you're not sitting down at the table and everybody starts at the same time and like, all right, now build. <laughs> like, Gentlemen, paint all, your all, models. Everything yeah. happened That's at practice true. day. That, like, that is very, yeah, that is yeah. very true. It's, Good it's, point. It's the most, uh, uh, you know, disappointing race ever. You just like, everybody, <laughs> when your mark gets set and they put their models down and they're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I have often thought that, that, that the IPMS guys should have an on-site contest. Like, you show up on Wednesday morning and you have until 3 o'clock Friday afternoon and you all build the same kit, you all sit in the same room, you all get the same tools, and then it goes on the table. I mean, you know. Yeah, I'll be at nutty, the bar. But... Bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, need, you know, come on. You need peace and quiet. You need your own surroundings to, to get the best out of your work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 silliness, but uh, you know, a point being is that yeah, you're right. It is different from a from a other types of contests, which gets us to the last thing of my three points. Because uh, while I have much more respect for the work itself at IPMS events, much much more respect for the folks involved, I have less respect for the organization and the events. Uh, because I've been on the inside enough and heard enough of these conversations that, look, I'm going to say it straight up. I, IPMS is a weird deal because 
It is definitely punching well above its weight in terms of how much attention it gets over these contests. I mean, I don't think a lot of people realize this, but the IPMS right now is at a sort of peak of its all-time membership numbers, which is around 5,000 members. To put that in perspective, there are more members of IPMS UK, and we have a population one-sixth the size of yeah. America. Yeah, I mean, SMCG has something like 12,000 members. The Tamiya Facebook group has something like 120,000. You know, and, and so I've it, 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 honestly, I've never seen something this small, you know, be so loud. Um, and so that's that's a little bit that's a little bit weird. It's all the freeloaders. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, and and they organizationally are not doing themselves a lot of favors in terms of 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 becoming bigger and more relevant. Um, you know, the freeloader thing, that article that appeared in the IPMS journal, you know, we all participated in that little drama. We didn't even talk about it here on the show, but, but while I think that was a case of just, you know, foot and mouth disease on the, on the part of, of, of the IPMS president, the guy who wrote that editorial, um, it unfortunately reflected what a lot of people think that IPMS is the pinnacle of scale modeling and bro, it's just not. I mean, the IPMS Journal itself, I, I, I saw somebody on Facebook the other day say, best modeling magazine ever. And I'm like, have you never nah. <laughs> like, have you ever <laughs> have you seen, seen other modeling magazines? <laughs> yeah. And, and I, you know, and, and I hate to, I, I hate to shit on the efforts of the volunteers who do it, but sorry, when you got magazines out there, like, you know, AFV modeler or air modeler, you're just not in the same conversation. And honestly, the resources of the IPMS would be, and those folks would be better spent elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was going to say. It, yeah. Hey, let's produce a magazine of something that could easily be a webpage. Yeah. Come on. Absolutely. Like, yeah. And actually, I looked at the accounts for, I know, sorry, this is like a, a like not really relevant since we're talking about IPMS USA, but I looked at the accounts for IPMS UK and the majority of what they take at, uh, from traders and what have you for the annual show goes on publishing the magazine for members for the year and I wonder whether I'm sure this would be the same in IPMS when people member uh, become a member just put a tick box on the form or renew do you want your magazine digitally or print because you could still print a thousand and send them out for people that don't want the internet but the others I bet would take it digitally and you'd save so much money yeah, it's a weird deal. I think they should just do away with it, frankly, but, you know, not not my thing. And the, But the problem is, is that change, as we've seen, of any kind within the organization is very hard come by. And mm. when it comes to the competition, as long as that whole deal is run by the, what is it, Matt? Is it the NCC or the ICC? You the, wrote ICC I, in your post. I thought it was the ICC, but it could be, I mean, because it's, well, it's the IPMS. It's the International Plus, so the ICC would make sense. But uh, I thought it was National Competition Committee, but I could be wrong. It, it doesn't matter. It, it is. This is what a lot of people don't realize. Right. These are the guys. This is the secret cabal. <laughs> of, <laughs> the tastemakers of, cabal? Uh, yeah. I was going to say, that's lovely symmetry because we've just gone past two years. Our first episode was the International Taste yep, Tastemaking exactly. Cabal. Well, and well, Matt was the yeah, guest. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> and these guys actually are. I mean, they are the group of unelected 
officials who run the contests. They have no term limits. They have no accountability. As far as I understand it, they report to nobody. Any change to the contest, even the smallest change, has to go through them. And that, to me, is a, that's a real fundamental problem because they see things a certain way. And uh, as long as those guys are that hard-bound, um, it makes it very difficult for, for any kind of change to happen. And you've got guys like Rob Booth and, and Dana and, and John Bonani, guys who have really been working hard to try and, and create some change. These guys are progressive, smart, and I just hope that they can figure out a way to keep those guys around and interested uh, because, honestly, I mean, I may get some hate mail for this. They're the only way that I see IPMS surviving 10, 20 years down the road. should say, though, that last time we spoke about this was, strangely enough, a year ago. And uh, I think John got his position about a, a year ago, didn't mm-hmm. he? So, and they did say there's a two-year cycle to change anything. So probably we'd be waiting another year until anything they could affect would actually change. Yeah, but they didn't. They didn't really get any changes. Uh, but no. but that's the, but but you're right. Like it's a minimum of a two-year cycle because they're going to talk about it at the national contest. They have a meeting, and then they have to think about it for a year. And then they'll vote on it the next time, and then they'll enact it at the one after that. So it would take three annual contests for a change at minimum. And that's just that's just ridiculous. So, yeah, that's a problem. You, you can't run guys like a John Bonani off. I mean, that guy grew up literally in the IPMS system, going to shows when he was like 13 years old. There's probably nobody who who, who knows the ins and outs of it better than he does. He's a, he's a guy with an engineering degree and an MBA. That's the kind of dude you want involved if you want to create an organization that, that's going to last. And I'm afraid they're going to mm-hmm. run guys like that off. Um you know, so so there's that, and then there is the whole one, two, three thing. So Matt, I know you've got your thoughts about that, and I'll shut up for a second, and let you let you pitch that. Yeah, let me actually pull it up because I don't remember what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> well, it started with I've got it here. I could do it, an impression. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. I want. I want to hear. Let me tell wanna, you something. Yeah. I want. I want to tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want. I want to hear Metting's impersonation of McDougal. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, it would be worse than your Australian impression. I think yeah, probably that would, I'd that, be. That, that would be tough. I'd, if I went to the Nats, I'd be shot for my attempt at an American accent. Yeah. So let's not do that. All right, so I've got it pulled up now, so I can kind of walk through it. So yeah, first of all, one, two, three judging sucks. Um, it forces, and I've experienced this judging myself, which is why I don't judge at IPMS contests anymore because I don't like where it takes me. But it forces this like triage mentality of eliminate everything you can and then the ones that are standing are the winners the thing that annoys me about that is that the paradigm for triaging never changes it's always like wheel alignment stabilizer alignment are all the road wheels on it it's never look for shitty decals look for terrible paint it's it's just that same way in and that same way in is not at all a match for i think why anybody's in the hobby i don't know anybody who's in the hobby to get the wheels straight you know, that's part of building a well-done model, sure, but it's not, that's not a passion point. And it feels weird to be, it's like judging race car drivers on how well they can parallel park. Like, 
<laughs> no, it, it, yeah, how, it's part of how clean the car is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you can you can park a car as part of driving, but come on, like that's not that's not what we're here for. Uh, so that you know that's frustrating. Also, on top of that, every element that you add is something that can just fuck you over. So you add missiles to your pylons. If they're not exactly straight, you're screwed. If you add, you know, an open an open hatch and you screw something up there, you're screwed. And, you know, you add aftermarket tires because they look better than the kit tires and they fit a bit wonky and one of them kind of sags a little bit over time, you're screwed. And that takes away so much potential creativity, potent, you know, potential like, hey, let's open up the nose of this F-16 and show the radar off and do a bunch of cool detail work in there. Nope, you know. It's sitting weird, so you know, or there's a, or there's a visible ejector pin mark at the very tip of the inside of the radome that you didn't see, and that somebody with their little pen light did, and you're disqualified. And so it, it rewards the most simple, basic, non-risk taking builds. And it's either that, or it's like you know, the the three or four freaks out there who completely scratch build something amazing, and that's where a lot of the accolades tend to go, which scratch building stuff is awesome. It's great, but it's kind of, you know, at least to me, it gets a bit tedious seeing like the same kind of thing gets rewarded year after year after year and other things just get completely ignored. Uh, but I think that's the one, two, three system. I think, you know, when you have to pick one favorite and you have 50 something entries on the table and the judging paradigm is the same thing every year, it's not surprising. The same things tend to tend to surface. Uh, second is the system doesn't provide before you go on yeah sorry i think there's one word there that jumped out to me which is the key to it you said it rewards it doesn't it punishes that's the problem i have with the system it doesn't actually reward things it punishes until there's no there's only three it's a last man standing kind of a thing it's a negative well it's it's uh, subtractive right you're you're not gaining points at any point you're losing points you're, yeah. you're never gaining points. You're always losing points, which is one of the problems I have with it. And I think something that should be considered is like if you have the 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 primary points of the model broken out into 10 different categories where you get 10 points within those categories, then you're getting a little closer to rewarding the, the right things, you know? Yeah, totally. And that's the thing where it's like you go in through that eliminative, you know, that elimination mindset with alignment as opposed to like, yes, alignment's important. It's probably, I don't know, 15% of the model, you know, whatever. But going through that route every single time and using that as the triage mechanism is what is what my issue is, as opposed to going in some other way, you know, and changing. Well, it. it's 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 a sequential versus holistic. Yeah, that, that, that's like mm-hmm. the fundamental thing there. That yeah. guys like Rob Booth are working on to try and make it where it's not. I mean, but but it is so ingrained. It, it, I mean, you you hear you hear guys like Jim Clark, and I like Jim, but he will say over and over again, construction first, and he literally means first. Like that's what you're going to look at first. And if your thing gets kicked out because your construction was was wrong, none of the none of the other stuff matters. Yeah, that's well, the, the problem. Well, the other thing that's fucked up about that, right, is you're if your wheel is out of alignment by a half a millimeter, it's just as bad in their eyes as if it's out by five fucking millimeters. Yeah, exactly. like out is out. And I yeah, think refinery. And if you get if, that, if, yeah. if alignment is allotted ten points that you can achieve, 
then if your wheel's just slightly out, you get nine fucking points. But the guy whose wheel's five millimeters out and put on backwards, well, he gets like... Right angles. <laughs> you know, he gets a fucking one point or two points or something. Like, you know, you're you're judging the thing within a reasonable window. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Just to add a tiny bit of context, sorry, I don't want to derail this. We'll, we'll get back to your second point in a minute, uh, yeah. Matt. Um, just so people know, this isn't an IPMS thing. It's an IPMS USA thing. IPS in the, IPMS in the UK does the system you're talking about of having so many points in several categories, and it's the overall score. And IPMS system they use at Mosin is the same. You do so many points for ten different things, and then you total up the score. It's not a elimination round. Every t- it's it's a very it's I believe it's a purely American IPMS thing. It sounds about right. Anyway, about the way <laughs> why do why do it any way like anybody else in the world does when we can just do our own way, even if our own way is stupid? <laughs> I just find it interesting that IPMS internationally have different systems that work, and that yeah. it's not they the work, same. Mind you, they, yeah, every, they work. Yeah, but it's it's not the but same not for every this. IPMS in every country, right? But the yeah. but the idea that it's that it is just you know wherever and whatever that just grates on my nerves. I mean. Other competitions, other forms of competitions don't work that way, okay? The rules for basketball are the same in every country. The rules for, mm. you know, whatever, it, it, it's just silly. It's like, why is it international if you're not going to have some sort of... Overall standard? Continuity yeah, continue. across yeah. countries. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry, carry on. Yeah, so to jump to my second point... Um, Basically, there's no feedback. You just don't get feedback. And so the first thing for this is like, even if you win, you don't know what you, you don't know why you won. <laughs> right. If you came in fourth, you right. never know. If you came in last, you never know. And you yeah. never know why. And there's always the, well, if you, if you want to know, you can go talk to the judges. I'm a fucking introvert. I will like, if I have to call somebody, I don't know. My day's done. And so going to talk to the judges is a, is the, just a little layer of friction where I'm like fuck it I don't care I don't care enough to find out I'd be curious to know but I'm not like I'm not going to lose sleep over it so no I'll just keep you know if if it's if I have to do that why can't they write wheel crooked on the back of the sheet yeah and, and but it, I'm over here just like chafing because it's not even that it's not even like you don't even have to get to the point where like it's a personal challenge if you're an introvert you you got to be able to find the fucking judge that you want to talk to yeah before that even matters yeah i mean i i am definitely not an introvert i'm willing to do the work to find the judge and ask the questions and like last year at the nationals i never got any response back on my on my p40 yeah and I was even going through Jim Clark, the head fucking aircraft judge, and he couldn't get a response for me. Yeah. So that whole, well, just go talk to the judges, it's another cop out. And well, then, you know, you'll you'll hear people say, and this is this is the kind of reductionist horse shit that just drives me bananas. Well, you got all the feedback you needed with the with the with the first, second, third place awards. What? In in what universe <laughs> exactly oh well modelers know what's wrong with their models oh yeah, yeah. maybe i saw that guy but, but but you don't know what's wrong let's just say that's true 
but you don't know what's wrong with the other guys relative to yours. And isn't that sort of how competition is supposed to work? Yeah. Like, or to, I mean, to use a, a very recent example, I know everything that's wrong with that ME262. I know everything that's wrong with the Intruder. The Intruder is a better model than the 262, hands down in every possible way. So so why did one win and one not? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I mean, that's, that's the know, question you want sleep. to answer. I mean, it's like I'm not losing sleep over, but it's like there is a seam on the on the 262 where the canopy goes down because it just like popped loose, it like popped up a little bit over time. They didn't see that, you know. So, it, to me, it's it's there's a. Uh, I don't trust that they're seeing everything, and because of that, it it's like things get eliminated for arbitrary reasons. Yeah, and and they definitely are not seeing everything. I know you were sitting there in the bar on Saturday night when David Wassel. <laughs> yeah, another another shout out. Such an awesome guy. David and I have have communicated so much over the years, and finally got the chance to hang out in person. And he is a he's a he's a former Air Force F sixteen pilot, uh, uh, chief of surgery. At a, at the hospital in Arkansas. I mean, this is not a guy who fucks around, okay? And his models are really good. So he he brings his A7 Corsair and puts it on the table in the bar so that we can all have a good close look. And he's let, he 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 recounted how he had done the same thing in the contest room because a very senior, possibly maybe a head judge had been standing nearby and David just grabbed him and was like, hey man, can you give me some point-by-point feedback? And so this guy comes over and does the whole thing and looks and squats down and eyeballs and he's like, yeah, you know, your 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 bomb rack looks a little wonky and your wheels look a little out of whack, and uh, but otherwise it's a very nice model. And I'm sitting there in the bar looking at it in bar sort of light, right? With with not good magnification, nothing special, and I'm like, David, did he point out the fact that your horizontal stabilizers are completely out of whack, like one's higher than the other? And he said, Yeah, not at all. I mean, it's literally the first thing I saw when I looked at the model. Not to harsh on David, because it is a beautiful model, but it was that obvious to me, and never even. And this guy's allegedly like a head judge, didn't even say anything about it. So, you know, well, you're also setting not... up, you're, you're setting up a personal conflict. If you, if you're telling people, go find the judge and get your feedback, some of those yeah. interactions are not going to be pleasant interactions. And, Whereas, and, cause yeah. And let's be honest, this is, this is fucking Texas. Right. Like it could, it could end badly. <laughs> it could end very badly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Concealed carries a thing. <laughs> yeah. But where, whereas if you, if you have feedback on the sheet, where they list what they saw, then you've got your answers. Right. It takes yeah. it takes it takes the heat out of it. You're reading it three days later after you get home or whatever. Sorry, IPMS UK. <laughs> you know those sheets I was talking about where they do those marks yeah. for every ten things? Uh, for the ten categories, how many marks you get for each thing. You can go to the um contest secretary at the end of the show and ask to see a sheet so you know what you got and what you didn't. Mm-hmm. You don't have to talk to a judge. You don't have to, you know, you can at least see where you were decent. Where you oh, were. wow. An easy solution. Yeah. But let's not adopt yeah, that. And, yeah. And this is the thing that, that, uh, that also just, that has. And we just 2,000 models in two hours. How about hours. a QR code? So we do it. Yeah. Scan a QR code that takes you. That's a bit technical, even for IPMS UK. All these things. <laughs> and this is one of the central reasons why 
my now three-year exercise with IPMS um, has left me feeling very pessimistic about it is that these are always the excuses for when you talk about giving feedback or you talk about an actual scored judging system or anything like that, whether it's, you know, gold, silver, bronze, oh, it takes too long. We can't do that. We already have, uh, uh, you know, uh, only six hours to judge on Friday night. And these we are stay all volunteers. Okay, and this is my point that I'm getting to. Is Which they are every model show in the world. So, so, so in addition to the other statistics that Rob gave me, here's one that's very telling. They had 250 judge pins. Okay, like everybody who judges gets a pin. They ran out. He said they had almost 300 judges. That's for th- 10 models each. For 3,100 models, and they had six hours to do it. And if you go back to our conversations with, with Robert Kronbecker about Scale Model Challenge, yeah, they don't have as many models, but when you do the math and you look at the rate, those guys are far more efficient. And part of the reason, granted, is that, you know, those guys have a software package that allows them to do stuff on a tablet. And this is where I just love guys like Rob Booth because they're working on trying to come up with solutions for that. Anyway, yeah. To be fair, that was, the tablets are quite a new thing. We used to do it on paper and it was still just as quick. To, yeah, to be fair, yeah. it, uh, World Model Expo was the first use of the tablet. So SMC. Oh, was it? I, I, yeah. No, I, yeah. I thought they used, I thought they'd been using that at SMC mm-hmm. for a while. So, no, so that's the, my bad. I just, I was mistaken about that. Yeah, the, they'll be using it this year. And it's also worth pointing out that the guys who developed this are, it's not exclusive. You can buy the license to use that's it. That's right. That's you, right. For a small for, show, you can use that's it for right. Free. For a yep. show under fifty yep. entries, it's free. So and there have been conversations behind the scenes between some folks over here and some folks over there, but then there's this wall that they run into where it's like, oh no, we can't do that because remember this thing that happened in Florida and there was a whole huge disaster and you know, well, okay, that was what like ten years ago, whatever it was, when you were on dial up. i was talking to barry biediger from uh, a good friend small subjects earlier and he's he was at stressor for world model expo in 2014 and they had four thousand entries judged it on paper and still did it faster than ipms yeah yeah so with a smaller team so there's so there's that but here's to me what it comes down to and then i'll be i'll be done probably forever because honestly with IPMS next, with the Nationals next year being in Madison, Wisconsin, and the year after that being in Virginia, I ain't driving all that way. This is probably the end of my exercise with IPMS. But I see the fundamental thing as being this. One, two, three does suck. It's dumb. It does not, it does not reward the right things. It does not encourage the right things. But... My position has evolved beyond that in the following way. The problem is that the judging core is unqualified. Now, I don't mean that they're unskilled or incapable. I mean that they literally have not been certified or vetted in any way. It is true that at the Nationals, your first year, you don't get to vote. 
but you're fully part of the conversation. And that's really nothing more than time and grade. That's not like training. There is like no class that all the judges have to go to where you can teach, you know, where you can learn what like a streak should look like or chipping should look like. There's nothing and there's certainly nothing like they do at Scale Model Challenge where the judging core is hand-selected by the organizers and it's an all-star team. The judges in an IPMS contest, it could be, but the judges in an, and it's not, listen, this is not to say that there are not a lot of very good judges at an IPMS event. I mean, look, you got guys like Joseph Youngerman, for example, at the Nationals. He's been a judge for many, many years. He's a very good model maker. He is squared away. Like, that's the kind of guy I want being a judge. But the point is, that's coincidental. You have no way of knowing if the guys doing the judging can even see straight, much less build a good model, because they're not qualified. They're not, they're not, there's not a process for that. And unfortunately, given that fundamental truth, a judging paradigm that reduces it to the simplest common denominator, are the wheels straight? Are the wings level? That's all you can really do. And so until they undergo a fundamental shift in the way that they think about the whole thing, I don't see them ever being capable of changing the actual judging paradigm. Well, they also have to I, want to, and they don't. Well, there's that. Yeah, like I, 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 I hear what you're saying. Um, I fundamentally disagree. I just I think though that as long as they want to change, as long as they're being sticks in the mud about it. It's not, you know, none of this is going to matter. And the the way forward for people to have a better IPMS Nationals contest experience is to just start insurgency shit on top of it. <laughs> yeah, and, there, and there's plenty of that. And let me be clear. I, I'm not saying that I think that the 123 system is actually good. I'm just saying that it's <laughs> rational under yeah. the conditions that are present that that that's all I'm that's all I'm saying what i hope is that the efforts of guys like rob booth where they're trying to create an actual scoring system that allows them to do like even a plus minus thing where they look at the model holistically rather than sequentially and that that if they can start doing that that sort of by osmosis the people who are using that system are going to kind of get trained the people who get the results back are kind of also going to get more inculturated. Is that a word? <laughs> to, inculcated. Inculcated to uh, a more holistic uh, point of view. And that. Oh, that you might say inculcated. I uh, might not. Uh, but anyway, you guys, I mean, am I making sense that that. That that, yeah. that may be the way to eventually get to something like gold, silver, bronze, if that's where they want to go, yeah. is to build, the, to fundamentally build the culture over time, <coughs> starting you know with, with with just anyway, yeah. It doesn't even need to take more time to fill out a sheet with the categories and what they scored in each, because you get the junior judge to be the writer. Yeah, there's yeah. there are so many there are so many reasons why the it takes too long argument is just dumb like we could spend a whole episode on that but yeah. you know but 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 you, you just hear that a lot from people who just don't really want to think about it very hard i mean there's well you know why it takes so long 
It's because they have to lift them all up. Got to look at the other side of the tanks. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. I actually feel kind of bad for that dude. That's not the way you want to be, you know, become memorialized on the internet. That photograph. He's kind of famous now. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that thread in a lot of places. Yeah. 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 He's even doing memes now. (laughs) Yeah. but, But look, here's the point. I feel bad for that guy because... I'm not sh- I mean, maybe he, like, of his own, you know, volition, thought that was a good idea to pick up somebody's tank, shine a flashlight underneath it, and hold it there for long enough that somebody was going to take a picture of him doing it. But I also feel like he's a victim of the system. Right? Well, yeah, I would agree with that. And, I mean, looking at the comments on there, like, the most disheartening thing of this entire Nats has been seeing the people like rushing to the defense of that kind of behavior. Yeah. yeah. And that's like, what I mean. If Yeah. If, well, it's if, even if present in the photo, isn't it? Like everybody around him is just looking at him doing it. <laughs> yeah. Now he says he wasn't, I don't want to get too much into it because poor guy, I don't want to single him out even more, but he says he was pulled out of his family dinner to come and help because he didn't have enough judges. Didn't have enough then over three. But I thought they were yeah. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> they didn't have enough judges, so they pulled him out of dinner, up. and he didn't didn't go to the briefing. But surely everyone around him went to the briefing, where they said you don't touch the models. Yeah, and again, I feel like I feel like that whatever sort of cultural motivations caused him to think that was necessary, you know, that's. I mean, he made the choice, but kind of not his fault. Someone did say on one of the threads, "How can you judge it if you don't look at the bot? If you can't see twenty percent of the model, well, you can see fucking eighty percent of it. Yeah. Judge it on the eighty percent you can yeah, see. Exactly. If apparently if people like Jim Clark say every model's got a flaw, you can find one without turning it over. Yeah. If you really want to find a flaw, you can find one. And especially on a tank, what's underneath there that's even construction related that's that important? You could ding them on consistency of weathering, perhaps. If they but, didn't weather uh, the yeah. inside of the road wheels or the underside of the tank but, but that, is, that doesn't tank, make yeah. any sense to me because in my experience in my two in my two contests of ex, of judging experience it never got as far as weathering now granted that was aircraft mm-hmm. but it never got to the point where somebody was saying well this one is weathered more the execution of the weathering on this one is better than the execution of the weathering on the other. It never got that far because it was decided on wheels and wings. Right, which is another reason why if you have 10 categories worth 10 points each, you know, let's say you didn't weather a model. Okay, well then your score would be based on a, a maximum of 90 points. Let's say that presentation was something you were judged on and you just plunked yours down on a table. Well, then your score would be based on the maximum of 90 points if you did both those things then your maximum score would be 80 points you know and if you get a fucking 79 out of an 80 it's still a gold medal my what i've what i've proposed to rob and matt i don't know if we've ever talked about this i'm curious what you think look i get people not wanting to do math i mean i'm shitty at math even though i have two engineering degrees but you don't have to do math i've proposed just a simple plus minus system like you have all these categories. If you have a wheel crooked, you get a minus. If you if all your decals are just fine, you get nothing. If you painted all your markings, 
you get a plus. If I mean, if that's something that you can tell. So then you go through, and by the time you get done with the pluses and minuses, you're going to come up with a net, and whoever has the most pluses wins. Who's a net? A net who? <laughs> well, how do you get a plus? Or, how do you or, get a plus or, on wheel alignment? Or well, you don't. You just all you can. I mean, so okay, you can sort of pay respect to the fact that your wheels are either straight or they're not. But it becomes part of the whole score rather than the thing that keeps you from even being looked at for anything else. Right, but there, you can all that doesn't account for a half a millimeter off versus five millimeters off. A minus is still a minus on that. Yes, Whereas you are correct. If you've got yeah. a if you've got a ten, I think marks out of ten isn't too mathematically challenging. Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying, you know, for arguments that are all about it's too hard to do the math, it takes too long. That there are other ways to look at it. Well, just do it like Mosin do it. Don't add them up. You do the marks, but you don't total it up. You hand in the sheets, and then the head judges, or the you know the, the team that compiles it, they total everything up and decide who gets what level. All you do is just score it. That's it. So you don't decide who gets. Yeah, the, yeah, right. Like the, the judges themselves don't have to worry. And in a software situation, that all that shit all happens automatically anyway. Anyway, I don't know. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I mean. I, th- I think it's it's easy to overthink it, honestly. Um, yeah. You know, it's, I mean, if I were IPMS and I were curious enough to look into what are better ways to do this, one of the things I would do is I would send people to some of these shows and just observe. Can we come watch the judging, see how it goes down? We just want to learn. Do that. Also do something like, I mean, uh, Jake McGee and I were talking about this, you know, at Nats. Meg Jimenez, Meg Jimenez was there. Rick Lawler was there. Like, there are some high caliber modelers at Nats. Why can't IPMS go to them and be like, hey, Meg, we're going to give you like 10 little special awards. We want you to walk around, pick your 10 favorites. You know, and they'll just be like a special, they'll be kind of like separate from the contest, but it's just, you know, it's just an extra little thing. I'm sure he would have done it. And that would have been, you know, for the people who won that, that'd be a huge deal. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it and it wouldn't it wouldn't be stuck in this IPMS wheel alignment bullshit. It would be a whole different thing. It would just be his own choice. But you know, he's a great modeler. His opinion matters to people. I mean, it, you know, I think it, it would probably carry more weight than the actual judging results. I'd love to see something like that. You know, like five, say five celebrity judges who get to walk around and like you know pick their pick a couple of their favorites, and that just becomes like an overlay on top of the show. I think that would be a a way to you know get out of this whole like it has to be this way or this way. No, it can't be any other way because IPMS is too incurious to do shit about it. You know, this way it just kind of bypasses that, and it at least adds a different a different level of uh, of engagement to the show. That that reminds me of one thing that I know you and I both were have bitched about at both nationals that we've been to. That is just baffling to me and gives me the opportunity to tell my my one and only and awesome rick lawler story (laughs) (laughs) so they 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 closed the contest room at three o'clock right on saturday afternoon yeah and the banquet the awards presentation starts at seven i think yeah and and they use that four hours to put the awards out etc anyway you are not allowed to go in that room and fetch your models until after the awards banquet. So at 10 o'clock, there's this mad stampede 
to go in there and collect your your stuff, which I just find ridiculous, even if it wasn't for my particular physical situation. So they got to they got to come up with a better way to do that. Yeah. But <laughs> my way around it. <laughs> Both times has been to stage a special ops raid during the banquet and sneak into the competition room and steal all my own shit back with the help of some willing participants. And in this case, and this year, it turned out to be Rick Lawler because I was talking about, he was like, dude, I've got a vendor badge. I can go in there anytime I want to. <laughs> so we did. We went and got my hotel luggage cart thing and we just rolled right in there like we owned the place. And, uh, and, and it was great because, you know, it was fun. That was my one and only opportunity to hang out with Rick. And he is just such a cool guy. Yeah, he's great. So, he really is. Just- so good, good stuff. Good stuff there. But yeah, I hope they can fix that. Yeah, I mean, well, and that'd be a thing where, you know, moving from first, second, third to gold, silver, bronze and having a system where things get judged as they come in. There is that. Yeah, like, for sure. And and that way you could also, you know, because... On, let's let's be honest. Judging on a Friday night at National sucks ass. When there are like so many other options for things to do, people to hang out with, you know, ooh, we get shitty Costco pizza and we're here until God knows when. Whereas if judging was a thing that ran throughout the entire thing, or at least you know Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, say for example, then you could be like, yeah, I'll be a judge. I'll sign up for I'll sign up for a four hour shift on Thursday from three to seven instead, and that way. You could have people judging at a time that's more convenient to them. You know, there are always periods where there's like a bit of a lull in the show, et cetera, or like somebody doesn't, you know, they get in early, but they have to leave early, like, you know, all this stuff. And if you spread out that load over the, over the course of the, you know, the course of the entire thing, I don't see what's so hard about that. It makes it easier for people. And, you know, everything I've read about judging at gold, silver, bronze events is it's a lot more fun. It's a lot more. You know, you get to like geek out with your fellow judges talking about these models instead of playing the elimination game. So maybe more people would actually want to judge instead of hating what it turns them into and refusing to ever do it again. <laughs> yep. You don't even have to switch to gold, silver, bronze to start judging on Wednesday. If you switch to a score True. sheet yeah. and the judges only do scores, they could still, if they wanted, stick with their first, second, third. And then you have a round on Saturday of judges that go through all the top scoring ones and decides who gets first, second, yeah. third. Because there will be some. There'll be a few that have a, a same level of score. On them, I I, yeah, I mean, and maybe this is what you're saying, Chris. I mean, in theory, if each judge had a tablet and they had a system where they were inputting all the information, they could go do it any time. Like, oh, hey, I'm free. You get more judges if you spread it out, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. I mean, like, can only like, go on the Wednesday, I, Thursday or the Friday or whatever. I get that know. part of, of, of what they like at these events is that the judging happens in teams. Like each category has a team of, of three or four people and there's a lead judge and there's a lot of discussion, but uh, you know, I don't know that that's required. Maybe, maybe for the purposes of, you know, educating new judges, uh, you know, but I feel like, like what you're talking about, if it's, if it's a a score sheet, that's all going to come out in the wash. You can still have your team on Saturday do the final pass and decide mm-hmm. who gets first, second, yeah. third. But the the thing I the thing I always hear this every year we have Nats, we have the post Nats conversation, and then the same thing happens every year. 
the people that don't want it to change or the people that basically run the gig find reasons not to do things rather than look ways for ways to do things they can't do people yep. yeah it's kind that's the problem it's kind of the same there are lots of solutions lots yeah. of ideas but they don't want to change it's, and they'll yeah. find a reason not yeah. to do it yeah well we've been we've been bantering on about this for quite a while and i'm sure matt's got other stuff to do but matt what are your you know what kind of final thoughts do you have um Final thought I want to, I want to throw out there is kind of not about judging at all, really. Uh, it's my my first hot take coming out of Nats is that there were a lot of and this is more on like the armor and diorama side of things than it is necessarily like everything. There were a lot of great vehicles, very well done, you know, mechanized things sitting on absolutely just shit level i bought a bunch of crap at hobby boss and threw some you know threw some elmer's glue at it level groundwork yeah <laughs> and it, it my my it mine, being, mine being one of those terrible bases <laughs> no i mean I, I honestly i think the aircraft bases if anything were like the like the stronger bases there because they were just like you know concrete you know or like yeah. dirt but there i mean there were ones where it's like the uh you know, the tank sitting on, like, that green foamy shit that Woodland Scenic sells, and then they've got that weird, like, you know, they're easy bushes that look like just dried-up broccoli that somebody just threw around. It's like, <laughs> plants don't look like that in reality at all. And Neither, those, does, I mean, neither does the grass, unless you're on a golf course. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, like, I mean, even the, the Caterpillar Carrier thing that won Best Armor, the, the piece itself was amazing. Like, super well done. The ground was okay but the puddles in there were this like tan color and i've been around a lot of mud in my time and if if the ground is like dark grayish brown the puddles are not like caramel colored that's not the way that mud really works and so i was just looking at that and just got yanked out of it immediately like that's like to me that that was and i apparently judge apparently bases aren't aren't part of judging or something i don't know um, I might put that to the test next year and have some fun with that, see what I can get away with. But uh, but it's one of those where it's like, I don't know if you're gonna if you're gonna do a base and do groundwork, put as much effort into it as you're going to with the actual thing itself. That's why I don't really do that many bases because I just can't be asked to do it. Uh, but I'm not gonna half ass it then, so I just zero ass it. And which is but fine, it, 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 right? That, yeah, that's yeah. fine. You want to yeah. put it on a plank of wood? Yeah. Then it doesn't yeah. detract from your model. Yeah, it just it just it's better a plank than a badly made <laughs> absolutely a, a scenic yeah. base. A, yeah, a it badly, just, badly made base is actually going to detract from the look of a well made model. Yeah, yeah, and that that I mean, there like there were some that it, it just completely took. You know, it's like this is a cool idea. It's like, you know, even like dioramas. Like there were some that was like this is a really cool idea, but holy shit! Like spend more than a night putting the groundwork down. Like if you're doing a diorama and I don't know. It stood up to me much more this year than it did last year. Maybe I was maybe because I've been thinking more about groundwork lately and paying more attention to it or something. But um, that was one weird trend that I saw that I would I would love to see uh, you know go in a more positive direction. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I for me having bases was all about giving the judges something to handle the model with, but they would not <laughs> pick it so up. They would not, yeah, be that guy. Um, so I just, you know, like I, I, on my little machine and Krieger thing, all I did was take the base, 
throw some Danish oil on it so it's just looked like natural wood, put some magnets in it, and call it good. Yeah. You know, I wasn't trying to, like, make it look like anything. Uh, just here's some handles to hold on to. Well, mm. I mean, there's several photos from the Nats where things got broken and there's little post-it yeah. notes, mm. some which say I'm sorry and some which don't. Um, but did not affect yeah, did not affect judging. Not <laughs> I'm did, sorry. Did not impact judging. But that guy's flashlight literally impacted that yeah. 820. <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm not mistaken, I think the ones, the pieces that were broken – not saying that they were broken because of this, but just incidentally, they weren't on bases. Like the, the guy who was, wasn't one of them knocked clear off its base. Oh, the figure. Yeah, yeah they turned it upside down and it came off the base. Oh, there was yeah, no, there was an aircraft yeah, too that had oh its nose wheel off yeah, the base, yeah. and uh, apparently they'd broken off the the, the nose gear. Those door. pictures were horrifying. I mean, I've seen four so far. Wow, little blue post-its yeah. with with a ship. Um, a figure and two aircraft, I think, so far. But I bet there's a lot more, and I've never seen that. I mean, I had I had post-it notes on two of mine. So, really, Is stuff that broken. broken. Um, so my my U nine had a little thing broken off the side, but I my guess is that happened when I was trying to get it into the like put it on the table because it was packed, and that thing is like okay. two and a half feet long, and people have no sense of no sense of spatial awareness. Um. Mm. The the other one was my Tamiya F4, which that poor thing had it was cursed the entire time. Like I w- I went to unload it, pulled it out of the box, put it on the table, walked back to the box, and saw the main landing gear strut sitting there in the box because um, it had, it had just sheared right off. And then I went to go get the F4, turned it over to look at the bottom. I was like, "Yep, the landing gear sheared off." Brought it back to the box, set it in the box, and I'm like, "Where's the tail?" Tail fell out. Because it's to me a kit, so it's, it's so good I didn't even need glue, so I never bothered gluing the tail. <laughs> so I go back to the table and the tail's not there, and I'm like, "Where the fuck is the tail?" It's sitting on the floor as people are walking around. So there's like the you know like the panic slow motion dive for the piece. Um, so I put all put all that back together, glue the strut in. Uh, Justin Lentz was good enough to find me some super glue, and then there was like the um, you know my hands shaking like crazy, that whole like amped up adrenaline of putting shit on the tables. And just, you know, it's like trying to put the strut back in there. And it's sheared clean off. So there's like, it's a butt joint at that point. Um, mm. But I got it back on there. Had it, you know, let it dry for a bit. Put it on the table. Came back the next day. They'd moved it for some sort of split. And one of the exhaust cans had fallen out. Put the exhaust can back in. Came back the next day. You know, like this was like after judging to pack it up. And apparently... Well, one of the other exhaust cans had fallen out, but apparently what had happened is some some judge picked it up by the tail. Which, first of all, what the fuck? You don't that's not how you pick up planes. Second of all, the tail's not glued in, so it got about six inches up and then just fell. Oh fuck. <laughs> Fucking hell. Amazingly, the gear strut that sheared off didn't break. <laughs> but, but that thing is wow. enjoying a nice rest in the display cabinet right now. Yeah. I want to throw a shout out that I did here. Um, you know, I don't want people to think like all we, you know, are doing is like calling out the bad shit. Um, I heard that uh, our buddies uh, Bruce Whirl, who I got to spend some time with, he's just such a wonderful guy. Um, he he was on a judging team with Aaron Cook and uh, I think John Bonani. Yep. And I saw a post or a comment where they said that they put a bit of feedback on every sheet 
yep. in their category. Even if it was just to say, you know, like a crooked wheel, like here's why you didn't, you know, place. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Good on those guys for oh, yeah, totally. leading, le- leading by example and doing the work to show that it is possible and, uh, and valuable. Yeah. And I think they did that across like at least two categories, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And they made notes of who came fourth and fifth on on those pages yeah. too, so mm-hmm. yeah. you'll know that you were Good at least on. close, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Good stuff. Good on them. For That's how the rebellion team. starts. I mean, I, I've thought about getting, uh, I've thought about getting some of those like challenge coins made up and doing. You know, uh, we were joking like one could be like a purple heart for the the kits that you just know are a pain in the ass. Um, so, yeah. like, good job just even getting that thing done and on the table. Uh, but then. Um, you know, if I were to do one kind of like a dude's models thing or something like that, it would just have to say attaboy on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Literally handing out attaboys. I love that'd it. Be one of, that'd be one of those if you know, you know kind of deals yep. for sure. Yeah, totally. But yeah, it's I think it's a cool idea, you know, contest within a contest. Hey. Yeah. I mean, I, I look. I told, I told, I suggested to John Bonani a, a year or so ago. Look, if you ever want to do a team of guys who run a gold, silver, bronze metric in parallel and see how the results pan out, I'd participate. You know, I'll volunteer yeah. for that. Yeah, I would too. It'd just be really interesting to see whether the results are the same. Mm-hmm. Well, at least whether mm-hmm. the ones that got first get a gold. And even more to the point, do it with a team of of actually like vet like make it a mimic you know, like mimic what they do at SMC where it's an actual selected group of of judges as opposed yeah. to volunteers do it with a team of 20 and finish fast <laughs> <laughs> all right well matt thanks for joining yeah, us yeah, totally. really do appreciate yeah, it thanks for the invite yeah, and tracy and i certainly uh, i think appreciate both of your insights into uh, Nats this year since we weren't there. Yeah, yep. always. Because apparently I'll... we're not allowed an opinion because we weren't there. <laughs> always, yeah, right. <laughs> always fun to have you on. Uh, you know, always just great to hang out. And again, you know, I had a checklist of people that I wanted to spend time with while I was down there. And you were pretty much at the top of that list. And thanks again for the great mountain bike ride on Saturday yeah. morning and, and the and Taco Deli afterwards. That was really one of the, the highlights of the whole thing for me. Awesome. Yeah, it was a blast. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, thank you all. Yep. Yeah, thanks, all Matt. Right. Thanks we for appreciate doing it. So uh, coming up next is our interview with Sophie. Now, you know, as we said earlier, that unfortunately Tracy couldn't make it, which is a real shame because I think uh, you would have had a lot to add to this one. But unfortunately, technology is uh, is a fucking... Yeah. So uh, here we are. Let's hear from Sophie. I think... Uh, a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this. I think it's one of the best interviews we've done. So here we go. Hey guys, it's Chris at Inside the Armour Publications. I'd like to tell you about our summer sale. For the month of August, you can get 20% off any purchase. Just enter Summer 23 at checkout. The sale covers everything we sell, from Tetra PE sets and details to the incredible 148 Wingsy Kits aircraft kits. From your master hobby ship kits to all our books, including ebooks and the models from Ukraine books. So grab an outstanding book, kit, or detail set with a full 20% off at www.insidethearmor.com. And don't forget that promo code SUMMER23. Hey modelers, if you want to take your models to the next level of detail and refinement, you should be using Tetra Model Works PE and detailing sets. Whether you are building a 135th T72 or a 1700 aircraft carrier, 
whether it's a 172nd Hemt or a 148th M10, whether it's a camo net or a USAF aircraft seatbelt. Tetra has the set you need to lift your masterpiece to the next level of fidelity. Check out tetramodel.com now to find out how you can get hold of their superb products. Welcome to the Sprue Cutters Union, Sophie from Rose Model Company. Hello. Okay. Hello. <laughs> now, Rose Model Company is your handle on Instagram. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about yourself uh, and about how maybe how you got started in modelling? Uh, well, like a lot of people, I started modelling when I was young. My uh, it was my nan actually. She bought me a one seventy second scale Airfix Spitfire, the classic like one you know that used to be two pound in a supermarket somewhere because i had grown up listening to stories of family during the war and was obsessed with spitfires and tanks and planes and stuff not a very feminine like uh, choice at the time uh, but like i loved it uh, and she bought me that and i got hooked ever since i started tube gluing a spitfire together and painting it with like the, the humbrol paints that and the they were looked awful and then my brother would inevitably blow them up in the back garden <laughs> <laughs> i think during my childhood i built enough spitfires and messerschmitts to recreate the battle of britain <laughs> and from there i i eventually became a teenager and got distracted by all the things everybody gets distracted by when they're a teenager uh, you know, it was the 90s, so <laughs> I ended up partying, like, you know, and then uh, it got to the early 2000s and picked up a 116th Tamiya radio control tank, actually. Oh, the time. Jump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always wanted a radio control thing and I was like, well, why not a tank? I can't crash it at least. So uh, I got hooked back in then and have been building again ever since, like. Uh, recently, I've had a massive change into science fiction. Like, that's my, my new thing. Absolutely obsessed with sci-fi subjects now. Uh, and yeah, I've just been perpetually trying to get better ever since. Yeah, I was cruising around your Instagram page a little bit, and you clearly like the Star Wars thing. Oh, I do. Yeah, <laughs> I think I just got a bit bored of doing World War Two subjects for a while, and I'm not really a fan of modern military equipment so i was like oh i'll try something a bit different and i like the science fiction because you can be a bit more creative with it there's a bit more there's less of the people who are like oh that's the wrong shade of green like you need shades <laughs> light up <laughs> Uh, i don't i don't know the you know those the the the, the star wars crowd can get you know, pretty obsessive about canon and oh yeah, the studio know, scale guys. Especially mm -hmm. if you're right, if you get into the studio scale thing, and yeah, That's it's right. pretty. Yeah, it's all it's it's all it's its own form of rivet counting. I mean, you know, it is what it is, which is fine. But I, I, I think I don't know. My perception anyway is that just because it's science fiction doesn't mean that they're totally free of some of the kind of nerdiness that we are obsessed with as armor or i mean military modelers yeah i, I found with the star wars models because i was listening to your interview with john simmons recently um you get the two two camps you get the people who build it as a replica of the filming prop and the people who build it as if it was a real machine and you were building a model of a real machine i'm more in that camp so i'm more like oh, i'll do whatever i feel like <laughs> 
So I use a lot of armor, armor and aircraft modeling techniques, which the studio modeling guys don't don't do. They like they like to recreate exactly what the guys at ILM did in the seventies. Well, it's a very specific subset of science fiction modeling, isn't it? It's basically prop recreation. So yeah, which is a kind of a hobby in itself, I think. Yeah, I spend a good amount of time on the replica prop forum. So. Like, uh, you don't really get that with tanks, though, do you? You don't get like the guys that are like, "Well, I'm going to be super accurate, historically accurate," and the guys that go, "Ah, oh, it's going to be creative," <laughs> because everyone's like, "Well, it wasn't like that. You can't do that." Yeah. <laughs> well, I used to do a lot of what if subjects as well, which mm. tends to annoy quite a lot of people. <laughs> they like, oh, never would have done that. <laughs> Always fun, though. Always mm. fun, you know. Because hey, look, if it's a, I, I like. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to do what I call a could have been or a could be, you know, mm-hmm. where it's sort of an amalgamation of all of, you know, the references that I can find and, but still creating my own thing, not so much like completely outside of what, what could have been, mm-hmm. but, you know, still fictional. Like I think of it as like, uh, you know, doing something for a movie, you want it to yeah. be authentic, you want it to be plausible, but not, you know, not tied down to any specific, thing and i honestly i learn more from that those kind of projects than i do from doing just a straight you know trying to reproduce a specific vehicle oh definitely i mean i was watching uh, mike rinaldi's desert cromwell mm. like and that's a beautiful example of doing a what could have been like, you know if it had gone on a few more years longer maybe we would have seen yeah it. yeah because if you want it if you want the story to make sense you know you're and you're projecting then I I don't know. I find myself doing more research to figure out, okay, could that have happened? Would that be plausible? And I end up working harder at the research for that. I mean, looking at your stuff, you've done armor and aircraft. Yes. So, I mean, what was it that, that drew you initially to armor, do you think? Um, I don't know. Tanks are cool, probably. <laughs> Undeniable. Okay. <laughs> Actually, my my true love with World War Two subjects is aircraft because right. I'm obsessed with World War Two aviation. <laughs> um, but I, I think with the tanks, I got drawn to it because you know radio controlled. I'm mm. less likely to plummet a several hundred pound model into the ground and turn it into a pile of balsa wood. So uh, like... there's quite a few videos on YouTube of people that spent like a thousand pounds building an amazing replica one six scale zero or something and crash it on the first outing. <laughs> <laughs> it must be truly heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, the tanks are cool. You know, when you're younger, you all like the Tiger and the Sherman. And it's like, oh, I want to do it. I want all these. I want like to make them as accurate as I can. And, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really make them accurately at all. Like You just ham-fistedly glue them all together and paint them green. <laughs> like, <laughs> you don't uh, care about gaps or any of that stuff. I mean, I, I like... I like these vehicles, not necessarily for the vehicle themselves, but the story behind them, the human element to them, which is why I started diorama making as well, because you get that more human element to them. They admittedly haven't done very many dioramas. I'd like to do more, but yeah, uh, that's why I studied World War II archaeology, because it shows the human side of the conflict. Another archaeologist. So, does that is that what you do for do. your actual day job? I'm a commercial field archaeologist. Yeah, I mean, I've never heard that term before. What does a commercial archaeologist do? 
Okay, so in the UK, there's a legal requirement to perform any archaeology before construction takes place. Ah, so okay, that makes we, sense. We come in, do an assessment. If there's archaeology there, they send a crew of us in to go and dig it all out before and record it before the builders come in and destroy it all. So that makes yeah. good sense because I mean, I guess you could be just going to dig up for you dig a trench for a gas line, and who knows what you'll find. Oh, definitely, yeah. I'm a Londoner, so I do a lot of my work in central London. So there's London is a city on top of a city on top of a city. So <laughs> yeah. you find quite a lot. <laughs> Have you ever ended up digging or finding, you know, run into problems with live ordnance? Uh, no, not live so far. But we, I did work on a cemetery site in central London, which I'm not allowed to say the name of, unfortunately. But uh, we had a stack of coffins that we were excavating that a bomb had gone all the way through them and exploded underneath. Wow. Uh, yeah, so we had to excavate the entire stack out in one piece and it looked like a modern art sculpture by the time we got it. Unfortunately, <laughs> the poor osteologists, the bone people, they had to re-piece all the skeletons together piece by piece. <laughs> it's like sorting wow. five jigsaw puzzles into yeah. separate jigsaws. Yeah, it took them a good long time. <laughs> How many was it stacked? Uh, it was about seven, seven deep. So it was a Victorian cemetery site and they tended to pack them in quite deeply. <laughs> Just buried it one know. on top of the other? Yeah, uh, up until 1856, because that's when they banned burying in London because the coffins were so close to the surface that they were actually washing out in storms. So they <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. a hassle. <laughs> so, yeah, we we don't get anything after that, luckily. <laughs> What's like the most interesting thing you've ever? I thought you could dug say the up. most coffins you've ever seen stacked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you must come across all kinds of weird and cool stuff. One you can include. Uh, I did a section of the Roman Forum in London from the original city of London, Londinium, and found a completely intact wine amphora, massive thing. Like, uh, even had crystallized Roman wine in the bottom of it. That was probably one of the cooler things I'd found. Uh, sadly, never found. Haven't found much gold. Like, so that's the one I always get asked. It's like, oh, have you found any gold? <laughs> like, no. Uh, have you ever found any pieces of aircraft? I mean, obviously you're an aircraft fan. And... No, not personally, but I do know people who've excavated aircraft. It's quite difficult to get permission to do it because they are classed as war graves, even if the pilot didn't go down in them. No, uh, the Ministry of Defence, you have to go through them and get permissions to do it. And only certain archaeological units are allowed to do them. So but, oh, uh, yeah. a friend of mine did, though. He he excavated a Mark I Spitfire that had uh, ploughed into the ground at about 400 miles an hour. Like, and uh, the pilot was still inside it. Like, so. oh, wow. and, that was uh, quite a long sight. <laughs> debris <laughs> well it's gone in so so rapidly and at such a steep angle that the right. basically the plane had encased the pilot and preserved his body inside it so wow. uh, but they were able to remove the remains and return them to the family which was really wow. nice oh, yeah. Is, yeah. yeah it's yeah. a proper closure they, after what yeah. 70 years yeah they managed to the only reason they worked out it was his plane is they found the serial number of his rolls royce merlin no and found it was oh. his plane no were they did they did they do any kind of an autopsy like do they know if he was already already gone when he hit or there wasn't enough of the body to do an autopsy it was yeah. pretty squished 
No. Yeah, um, I can imagine. But, I don't mean to yeah. be facetious, but I think we can guess at the cause of death. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, but that's why I asked. I mean, he maybe the reason that he augured in so hard was because he was already out, you know. Oh, it's quite possible. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Unfortunately, the damage was too severe to work out what brought the plane down. I imagine the Germans had something to do with it, but... Well, it, there couldn't have been a lot of big pieces of anything left, at, you know, hitting the ground at that speed. Uh, the last World War II site I did personally, they was uh, part of what we called the stop line defences, which were uh, up in 1940 when we thought we were going to be invaded. Like we built all these anti-tank ditches and infantry trenches all around the south of England, and I did a bit in the Cotswolds, and it was amazing because. Uh, they were all dug, all finished, and then immediately abandoned because we realised the Germans weren't actually going to invade. So <laughs> while we were digging them, these two old guys walk into the field and we were like, oh, we dug that in 1940. Do you want to come to the pub and we'll tell you about it? And we were like, yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, it was really nice. <laughs> well, it's cool. You're you're the second of our, uh, or you will be the second of our uh Union alumnus uh, to be involved in archaeology because Moraine Van Heels uh, is an ar- mm. archaeologist, and I very much enjoyed that interview. Actually, very cool. Yeah, he's a cool he's guy. A obviously, movie. very yeah, very talented. Uh, Mike Rinaldi once there. asked me um, what I did as a job, and I told him an archaeologist, and he went, "That makes sense." And that was all he said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Is it the hat and the whip? I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look at you oh. with look at you with the jokes today. <laughs> yeah, yeah we always get that. It's like, oh yeah, you Indiana Jones. Like, no. you know, my job's a lot less sitting in bright orange PPE in the mud and less punching Nazis. So <laughs> looking after stuff, not blowing it up. <laughs> Uh, we should probably get back to models, shouldn't we? Oh, yeah. yeah. So cool. how did you get onto sci-fi? We told us why, but what was your kind of first sci-fi model? Uh, well, I'd got sort of burnt out doing World War II subjects. I was losing all my mojo. I was like, oh, I didn't want to pick up a new kit. And I was like, well, I'll get something that's going to be a bit of a you know palate cleanser. And everybody raves about the Bandai Star Wars yeah. kits because they are brilliant. So I got the ATST and I built that and did a little diorama with it and... And then suddenly I was like, oh, I quite like this because I can, I can do something a bit different. And then I picked up a few more Bandai kits. And then I was like, I wonder if I can 3D print a load of Star Wars ships. And then... Hey, suddenly, 3D printing. <laughs> oh, oh, hang on. Because... Everybody um, drink. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do the, star, the the classic Rebel fighters, but I wanted them in 132nd scale to go with all my 132nd scale aircraft. So, mm-hmm. But nobody makes them in 132nd scale. So I was like well, maybe I can print some. And then that turned into printing a lot of them. And then that turned out into me running through sanding sticks, trying to get them to all bloody fit together. Mm -hmm. Like, and uh, yeah, they just went from there, really. And next is the Colonial Viper from Battlestar Galactica. Original? The the one true Viper. The Mark II, like from the reimagined one. Oh, no. Oh, no. I like both. Okay. 
you said colonial viper. That's yeah. So anyway, yeah, <laughs> well, I yeah. Katie Sackhoff sat in like she's great. <laughs> well, she's great. Yeah, we're not going to disagree about that. But that's just not. I'm just saying that's not a real viper. It's not. It's not anyway. I mean, to be honest, I couldn't find any of the Mark One, the original kits anywhere. Anyway, you got to you got to talk to Martin Drayton and see where he got his. And and there's somebody. Isn't there somebody doing a? Oh, I think uh, Scott Gentry, our 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 uh, compadre over at the at the Plastic Posse, I think he's working on a three D printed um, real oh. viper <laughs> that's like one twenty fourth scale. I think maybe it's pretty yeah, big. Is that the one that's on the I, on the launch ramp. Like, yeah, I hope I have that right. It looks yeah. really cool. I, I it's been a month or so since I saw pictures of it, but. It's like I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> could be persuaded, but I know how 3D printed stuff is, and it's not plug and play, right? No, the amount of reprints I've done is ridiculous. <laughs> well, okay, so let's put Chris to sleep and let's talk about 3D printing and all of that. So, what's going on? <laughs> what's 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 Tell us how that fits into your modeling journey. Well, I mean, like a lot of people, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like when it all started, the commercial, the like home printers started coming out and uh, I wanted to go down the resin route for model making. It's just better detail. And uh, when we went into the first lockdown in 2020, uh, I was put on furlough and I was like, oh, why not? I'll buy one. I've got time. <laughs> like so. And then that one turned into another one and another one. And all that they brought out a better one. I'll get that one as well. Mm-hmm. And then the rabbit hole just kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper. <laughs> so you're pretty experienced then. I mean, have, they, have these all been resin printers? Yes. Yeah. I do want to get an FDM printer at some point for, you know, more useful, like more um, practical printing. For other yeah, things. yeah. Yeah. When you need to make a paint paint yeah. rack or a, you know something like that they are super they're super yeah. handy and they're so cheap i i've thought about it too but every time i th- i do it seems like they're just like a giant hassle yeah. i'm already you know resin printers are enough of a hassle oh, so God. yeah so yeah. what are you what are you printing on now an elegy satin 2 no, I've got okay. the moment, okay. which is pretty good. No, the resolution's good enough for what I want. No, that's the. It's hard. I lose track of them all now. That's the four K one, right? Eight uh, K. Eight K. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, so it's like so, their their eight K mid size printer. Yeah. So you're getting what twenty two microns? Yeah, that. about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, right. it's pretty. It's it's pretty good. Yeah, they're you know they're in the middle of the resolution wars, just like digital camera yeah. manufacturers were. And it's you know every day it's like ooh more 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 megapixels. Whatever. I remember, woo sixteen megapixels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The thing and, is, the the resolution now it's ridiculous. It's got down to such small levels; it doesn't really make any difference anymore. Like, not unless you're printing really tiny detail. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, like the, fro- the the frozen printers, they do incredible detail, but nine times out of ten, you're not going to need any of that, anyways. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I do you watch? Uh, do you watch Fohammer on YouTube? Yeah, yeah. He's really good. I mean his 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 videos are great. He's I mean, he's a no bullshit guy, which of course I love. He's not afraid yeah. to just you know tell you straight up what he thinks, even if they send it to him for free. 
but he he focuses a lot on on pixel size mm-hmm. and that's always been one of my aggravations when i look at reviews or whatever about these printers is oh it's 8k well that doesn't mean you know it doesn't matter you know this doesn't yeah. matter and it, because it all depends on how big the screen is how how much area are those 8k pixels shoved into because mm-hmm. you know if it's huge and yeah. actual pixel size is not there's so many other like uh, sort of variables as well it's like how warm is your room like what resin are you using yeah. like is it too humid like what's your layer size like and stuff like that so what's the phase of the moon which foot <laughs> were you standing on when you poured yeah. your resin yeah and and now it's like I, it's good to see that there are some that there are some other companies popping up with printers that are kind of they're like yeah okay cool resolution great but hold my beer because like look at look at the uh onboard heater that, that, oh, that yeah. uh, what's the there's another company that's doing some pretty cool stuff self-leveling build plates yeah you know, i think like any cubic did yeah did the latest yeah they're, they're starting to address some of these things that represent the actual real world hassle of yeah. resin printing because they're starting to recognize that the resolution thing is a dead end thing. And yeah, you know, we're, we're there. Do you think I, I like, I agree with, with faux hammer that anything better than 35 microns is pretty good. It's fine. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, the average, average person's not going to notice any difference beyond that really. Okay. So not the average person. What about the totally obsessive, one seventy second scale modeling nerd. Yeah, maybe if you. I mean, Alex Clark might want more <laughs> detail than that, but <laughs> he doesn't. If he, he does, do it by hand. Yeah, if smaller. he, if he, yeah, if he wants more detail than that, he's gonna just make it. Yeah. I mean, um, what what is that gun thing he's making now, Chris? Oh, God, oh the yeah. uh, what's it called? North Korean cock sand or something? It's yeah, a, it's I saw it on <laughs> easy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> think, I saw his pictures on Instagram, and you think it was about three foot long what when you look at yeah, it, and you it's, see it in scale, and it's insane. I mean, I thought he had done. I thought I thought he'd pretty much done the most ridiculous thing I could imagine, and then he with that thing he produces the the uh the the gear set that makes the thing uh elevate and mm-hmm. it, it works like it actually yeah. works with all the little teeth i just yeah he's a, he's an alien i'm certain of it <laughs> i love it it's too small a scale for me though for my eyesight and my fingers it's like too yeah. tiny and yeah and he does it without magnification i'm like okay they're having they're having the uf they're having the ufo hearings over here on on capitol hill today it's like a big thing that if you're down that rabbit hole we've all been waiting for like you know are they you know cut the thing about it do we really have wreckage and bodies in possession and i'm like bro we already have we already know it's alex clark yeah. he's here he's been here <laughs> uh, yeah no i mean he's definitely one of the people i like following because yeah. he's, he's a goals to strive for is alex alex's yeah. work and just a and just a cool guy too yeah. i mean he, you know he's super one nice of the, yeah yeah massively yeah. talented and totally totally humble for oh, sure. definitely. yeah i've met quite a lot of lovely people through instagram <laughs> 
uh, chat with Sam Dwyer occasionally. Fantastic. Yep, yep, he's, right. he, yep, he's the guy everybody wants to go to prom with. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> he occasionally, <laughs> occasionally is like messaging on me. He's like, I love your Star Wars build. Yeah, the plastic pods guys as well. <laughs> So, are you printing stuff that you're purchasing, you know, STL files that you're purchasing, or are you doing any of your own design work? Oh, I do a lot of my own design work. I do do a bit of both, really. It's if somebody's made a good enough file already, I'll just buy their file because rather than go through the hassle of making it myself, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and, and sometimes those can be difficult to deal with because, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's definitely such a thing as a bad STL file that uh, it results from somebody just being a poor CADsman, uh, CADs yeah. person. But, uh, you know, I mean, and if you want, you know, sometimes it'll scale up, scale down, whatever. But, yeah, I mean, there's chances of if, if there's something you want, there's a good chance somebody's already done it. Oh, yeah. For my um, A-Wing I and Snowspeeder, I did... Um, got Alain Rivard's files. Um, he does a lot of stuff on CG traders, yeah. Alain yeah. 11, and his work is unbelievably good. He's also another one who can chuck files out at a rate of knots. So I don't know how he does it and does them so accurately as well. <laughs> uh, he's about to release his sand crawler, I think, which should be pretty cool. <laughs> um, What's Gale? That could be huge. Uh, I think he, he does a lot of stuff at studio scale, so wow. it'll be massive. <laughs> I think the original was like two foot by three foot, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was pretty it was big. Huge. He's, yeah. he's spent so long hunting down all photos of all the original detail and everything. Like, um, he's got all the greeblies off the original kit parts and stuff and modelled them all. His, uh, his greebly library must be absolutely incredible to behold. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm uh, actually chatting with somebody on the replica prop forum at the moment who's trying to recreate a lot of the um, kit parts that we used on the Millennium Falcon as digital files to do some digital kit bashing with. Because so, uh, for the ghosts, they've um, recreated a lot of them on the Rogue One model to right. make it like give it that heritage with the Millennium Falcon. So they can have all that, and I want to give it. A bit more of that heritage too on my one <laughs> it's a really good idea because it seems like some of the kits that those greeblies came from back in the day might be really hard to find oh yeah as john said some of them are insanely expensive online um, uh it's like the holy grail of the studio scale model is doing the five foot millennium falcon from a new hope and I think to get all of the original kits that they used on there is something like $15,000. What? <laughs> Holy right. shit. Plus you've also got... Star Wars nerds pushing the price up. <laughs> wow. Plus you've also got a five-foot-long Millennium Falcon to put somewhere in your house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. That, yeah. that takes dedication. But you know there are dudes that are doing that for sure. Yeah. No, I mean, no. the prop makers are even more insane. Like, so to do Obi Wan Kenobi's lightsaber, you need a World War Two British rifle grenade, and apart from a Rolls Royce early jet engine and a tap, <laughs> a specific tap from Armitage Shanks that was only available in the seventies, <laughs> stuff like this. It makes me laugh to think that all these people hunting them down now and some prop master in, in like, 77 was just rummaging through a bin somewhere. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that will do. 
That's I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess I can see the attraction because you're on this massive scavenger hunt, mm-hmm. and that yeah, I guess that's I, I could see the attraction there. I give props to the guys who do it, but I'll just make a copy and prove it. <laughs> we see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> Very yeah, good. I'll just make my own copy and print it. It's easier. I imagine, yeah, that going forward, that's going to be a big thing that, mm. you know, accurate scans of the original parts that can be printed. So at least if you can't find it, you can get the look. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. No. Mm. I mean, so, I've got my own library of Greeblies and stuff that I'm building up and it's stored on my Fusion, like Fusion uh, library that I just pop bits and pieces in when I need them. All right. Well, you so you just answered the question I was about to ask, which which was was what what uh, CAD app you you're using, and so it sounds like you're a Fusion three hundred and sixty person. Yes, and I have you to blame for that, Will. Oh shit! <laughs> it was your video on Fusion that convinced me to go for that. Oh movie. no! Which one? I've only done a couple. I think I it was one of the early ones when you explained how to make the seat. There. Okay. All right. You had a video on how to make that, and I was like, "Oh, that looks quite easy." And then I picked it up, and then I was like, "Oh God!" <laughs> ah, <rabbit hole>. ah. <laughs> well, you, I, that's good. You know, that's that's one, I guess, recommendation from my from my channel that I can be proud of because not only do I think that Fusion three hundred and sixty really is the best option out there right now. I mean, I grew up with CAD. I you know I started. I, I remember doing CAD uh, shit uh, almost uh, thirty more than thirty years ago. Back when Autodesk had an extension for AutoCAD, you know that was just their two D package that you used to create you know floor plans and stuff. They had this thing called the three D extension, and it was this little module way over on the side, one of the side menus of AutoCAD. And if you went over there and kind of started digging around, you could make a 3D pyramid or a sphere. And it was like, whoa, you know, because that was like that was when Tron had, had come out not too, yeah. you know, not too long before that. And, and, and it was just, you know, like amazing. And um, so anyway, yeah, I, I think Fusion 360 is, is really, uh, I mean, I've been through like Rhino and FreeCAD. Tinkercad, you know, whatever. And they're just not fun. No. no. Fusion has its foibles, but I do. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Fusion really does not like compound curves. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, but it's like I was, some of, I have a little uh, CAD and 3D printing sort of think tank, and it's got some, some, some guys in there way smarter than me, which is the whole point. That's why I made the group. And, uh, so Tom Annies is in there and, and our buddy John Colasante. And so this morning, the big news, and you may know this already, um, Fusion has finally given us the ability to do emboss and deboss on um, complex surfaces. Have you heard about that? No, I didn't hear about that. And oh, God, thank you. Right? That's big, big news. Uh, I mean, for the for the lay people out there, basically what that means is like imagine – that you have a a, a, a a logo and you want to imprint it on the side of your spaceship or your airplane fuselage or whatever. Well, before today, you were fucked because it could only happen on a cylindrical surface. Yeah. You could you could wrap the you know, wrap the feature onto a soup can 
and have cool letters sticking out of the side of your soup can, but that's it. That's all you yeah. can do. And we've been bitching about that for what, like two years now? I tell you what, that would be beautiful for doing the paneling on Star Wars ships. Cause like, yeah, well, the, that's the right, right. Literally right now, as we speak, the, the those guys are, are, are having this conversation in my little group and they're, they've been trying it this morning, oh. doing panel lines, lines of rivets and, it, unfortunately it's quickly become apparent that this is going to be another one of those things where you can do all the math and you can you know make sure that all of the things from your point of view look correct but the little robots are like you know if i'm not doing that <laughs> like if that you, annoying if, little red symbol yeah, in the corner yeah, yeah like you think okay i have this fuselage profile you know fuselage and i'm gonna make a panel line that goes all the way around it or halfway around it even, by just wrapping this really skinny rectangle, right? And I'm going to emboss that in there, and I'm going to make a panel line super easy. And, but it, if there's more than one surface involved, apparently it's not going to let you cross that boundary. <laughs> and so there's, you know, it's not, it's going to take a little time before yeah. it becomes, but just the fact that we even have the option now is 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 great news. As, oh, as yeah, you know, no, that's, so. that's definitely going to be good because, uh, on on the the model I'm working on at the moment of the ghost from Star Wars Rebels, the docking port things are a conical shape, but they have the classic Star Wars paneling all the way around the edge of them, mm-hmm. which uh, is an absolute nightmare to do because you have to try and. Previously, you'd have to try and do the the sketch in enough of a shape so everything lined up correctly when you projected it onto yeah. the side, and yeah. and uh, it'd end up pulling my hair out trying to get it to work. <laughs> so, you, so are you doing a kit design? I am. Yeah, I'm doing the the ghost, the VCX one hundred light freighter from Star Wars Rebels in one seventy second and one to one forty fourth scale. It will oh, be released. Very in, cool. Very uh, cool. Eventually selling both the files and as a kit as well. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. Uh, so always what I want to ask is, are you designing at scale or, or one-to-one and then shrinking? Oh, I design at scale because nice. then the thicknesses are correct for printing. Right? Yeah, uh, that's what, least, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what Some I people prefer. prefer to do it different ways. I, I like it so that if I if I got it there on the screen, I know that the thickness of the the whole or the part is going to be correct when I put it on the printer and it's not going to suddenly yeah. either turn into a really chunky part or a really thin part. So. Yep, I'm right there with you. It can be it can be a real serious brain bender mm-hmm. to do the math and figure it out because you're designing at that point. You're not just you're not just reproducing a shape. You're actually having to do some engineering and account well, good, for good example on my one. Sorry to interrupt you. No no go. You, um, on the front of the ship is a big dome for the nose gunner, which has mm-hmm. the seat that Ezra Bridger would sit in, uh, and that has quite a little detailed like uh, seat and controls for him to use the nose gun, which even at 70 second scale are quite small, but I wanted them so you could run a small LED up to the control panel and light wow. the control panel. Uh, so I was trying to get it so that the, the hole was big enough to fit an LED through, but not thin enough that it would fail when it was printing. So I think I finally managed to work that one out. Very cool, very cool. Yeah. I feel like I, I feel like I should invite you to my to my little group. You might that'd be lovely. Yeah, it, it, that that might be pretty cool. We'll talk about that offline. But it sounds, I mean, it sounds like you are at least a, a, 
an advanced user of all of these technologies. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't consider myself an advanced user, but I've been learning my way through it. So. Yeah. Well, if you if you feel confident enough to tackle a complete kit design, I would say, yeah. yeah I, I've actually got a couple more planned for after this one as well. I want to do the classic Imperial shuttle. Is, uh, you know, cause the Lambda. I, yeah, the Lambda, the, the famous Tidarium that Han Solo is like, fly casually. <laughs> uh, uh, I want to do that because I looked and looked and looked and there is no 3D printable good quality version of it out there no. that amazes me because yeah. that is an incredibly popular yeah. ship the, the only the only very good quality kits available are from Merlin Models which their kit is insanely expensive but also really good so you're getting what you pay for uh, or the commercially one is the Revel one, which is horrendously misshaped. Like, I think it's MPC from yeah. the 80s or something, isn't it? It's, yeah. I think it, they brought it out literally just after the movie came out and the shape mm. is completely wrong. It's based mostly off of the, the actual big set from the Death Star where the oh, Emperor right. walks down the thing rather than the model of the shuttle that they filmed with. So, And it just looks really cool. Like The ship looks really cool. <laughs> it is a classic design it really is and then i think after that i want to do some star trek subjects but i'm not quite sure what ones yet so. and then maybe oh, I'll sure tackle a world war ii subject maybe i'll do one of those things that everybody complains there's no kits for <laughs> <laughs> there you go are you are you uh branching out at all like uh, with something like blender for example to get into soft surface stuff I was thinking about it. Um, I mean, I, I want for the ghost, I want the crew to be in it like you would get with the Bandai Perfect Grade Millennium Falcon, but I cannot sculpt human subjects. Or yeah, like, that's, yeah, that's, all, that's a whole, whole other deal. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, use it to create a bulge in a tire. Yeah. But yeah, creating a, creating I mean, a, yeah, people who do figures and busts, that that's art in my in my book. They they are sculptors, even if it is digital, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we've seen that with one of our other other former guests, James Rice. I mean, he was just he is just an uh, unbelievably talented painter, but also sculptor. And then when he started, uh, he, he started asking me about using about using CAD and Blender, and I was like, yeah, you know, for what you're gonna do, Blender really is the thing. But beware, it is a nightmare in terms of the user interface and yeah like five minutes later he's cranking out full you know head to toe <laughs> i'm like that's just not natural man what's wrong with you it's like fancy yeah. fusion he starts it and then it it's was him. yeah <laughs> exactly I know a, lot of, a lot of them use um zbrush don't they like mm. uh, uh-huh yeah, I, yeah, it, but they laugh the, at me when I say Zed Brush. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm outnumbered today, so I can't. <laughs> uh, I, people who use that is they do incredible work with it. Um, unfortunately, there's no free version of it, right? So. That's the thing, that's why people yeah, end it's up not on, a cheap license either. No. Yeah, people end up on Blender for that exact reason, but yeah. So I think when it comes to like figures, I'd probably commission somebody else to produce the files for me that way. So because at least that way, I know they'd actually be good. <laughs> I think that that's that, that, that there's going to be more and more of a market for that, mm. I, you know, where you can uh, just say, hey, 
look, here's what I need. Here's the pose I need. And, you know, it's like something yeah. off of Fiverr, you know, some guy in Pakistan's going to make it for you. Yeah. And, you know, I'm also going to produce some aftermarket for my kit. So I thought I'd get in there before nice. somebody else does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, so things like vacuum-formed canopies and stuff. Mm. I have never liked 3D printed canopies. I think they look awful. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's you weakness. cannot get even the best of clear resins. You can't get them to be clear. Like the... I mean, maybe one day somebody will work it out, but for now, I... You know, uh, Ben Schumacher, and again, we keep going back to these mm-hmm. folks who've been on before. Ben Schumacher's done some stuff that's pretty impressive, but he was also using a Formlabs machine. Mm-hmm. And um, and and I, I was, I honestly, because I, I'm like you, I'm like, there's just no way you're not going to get it done. But he, he managed to get some stuff that's pretty good. Now, the question is, like with a lot of this 3D printed stuff, is for how long? Right. It, yeah. You know, you can polish the shit out of it and it looks great today, but is it going to be yellow, uh, you know, five mm-hmm. years from now? Um, that's what I worry about with a lot of these, you know, super cool and detailed landing gear sets that people are getting. Uh, they're producing for like some of the modern fighter jets and they're just mm-hmm. amazing. But I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, resins have a sort of a time dependent strength curve and what do we really know you know we don't so which is what i'm I'm planning for in my ghost it's specifically designed to be able to put metal rods through most Mm. of it look at that's the usual solution isn't it are you sure you're not that you weren't an engineer in another life (laughs) i'm just saying well i just put in all the things you know that every time i print a print a model from someone i'm like oh i wish it had this like and then i put it in my one so I've designed it so that everything will nicely fit in together. So I've left enough tolerance so that even if the printer does blow out parts a bit, it will still fit nicely no. together. You just use the word tolerance. You're one of my people. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the problem with 3D printing is that a lot of people, like, when they're making the files, they're like, oh, this is perfect on each other. It's like, oh, this is exactly where it should be. Yeah. And then you go to print it and everything's slightly bigger or slightly smaller than it uh-huh. should be. And, uh-huh. and so slightly, I, not, slightly not straight. And yeah. yeah. So I find if you yeah. leave like a 0.1, mil like difference, you usually get enough that if you give it a light sand, it will pop in together and hold itself together nicely. Depending on what resin you use and stuff. Right, so. right. And what the exact situation is. I would call that a little aggressive for certain situations, but yeah. that's that's I mean, it's in the it's in the neighborhood of, of what I do and what the you know, what the what Tom and and uh, Fanch are doing for their stuff. So yeah, yeah you're you're, I you're mean, right point in there. One is what I do on the bigger sections and then when it comes to mm-hmm. final details I bring the tolerances down to make a better thing i do a lot of stuff as well like trying to hide seams behind other stuff so uh for the ghost for instance you have the large spinal section so the hole is in four quarters so it would fit perfectly on a satin two build plate and then the spine goes over the seam so you don't have to bother with filling or sanding nice Nice. that's next level thinking i mean you know a, a lot of people that get into this stuff especially if they don't have a background in engineering or or 3d design or anything just like okay the shape looks good cool i i, I mean i could print it i'll put some supports on it and you know and of course we know how that goes yeah. it's uh it's a rare and beautiful thing even in even with injection molded kits that are you know supposedly produced by a staff of 
people who have been doing it for a long time and have all have all the tools. I mean, we know they don't always get it right either. So, you know, it's when you compare like listening to um, the guys from Qatari and talking about their philosophy and the details. Like, this is how you sound to me right now as compared to, you know, we could name some yeah. others that we won't. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, we've all built an Italeri kit, right? <laughs> they don't call it Shitalary for no reason. <laughs> to, be, to be fair to them, they do make an occasional good one. <laughs> yeah, they all do, right? They all do. Some, you know, so they don't, but, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, clearly you guys were working on this at four o'clock on Friday afternoon yeah. <laughs> for the whole project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did that Fiat 500 and it just did not go together at all. I think that the, one of the biggest problems I have is with um, some of the manufacturers from China where the guys that build it aren't modelers and the guys they're building it, they're doing the CAD for, aren't modelers. And to them, it's it's widgets, it's units. And quite often you have problems there where it just there's all sorts of weird decisions where it doesn't fit. Yeah. I mean, there are some great Chinese manufacturers like Flyhawk are phenomenal, oh, really yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Um, so, it's you know, it's not, I'm not trying to <laughs> Jesus Christ! I'm not trying to insult a whole country. <laughs> really, just Trumpeter <laughs> Hobby Boss is my issue. But even then, Trumpeter occasionally will put out a really good kit. Yeah, but it's A Team and B Team, isn't it? That's always been the legend that they have that they have an yeah. A Team and a B Team. Yeah, A Team for Trumpeter and B Team for Hobby Boss. <laughs> I, I just feel that when I'm designing mine, I want to design it so that it will go together as easily as possible with the least fuss, so that somebody doesn't go, "I bloody hate this," and throw it in the bin. <laughs> Amen. I've had so many 3D printed things. So, for instance, I did, uh, I'm doing an X-Wing at the moment, which was a bloody nightmare to go together. I had to completely read, I, I bought the files off of a CG trader, I think, and it just would not go together properly. The, uh, the cannons were too weak to hold up their own weight. So I had to completely mm. redesign them to run brass rods down the middle of them. Like, which has solved the problem, luckily. Like, but I, I wonder if, if, if it's the same one that uh, Matt McDougall wrestled with last oh, year. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, he had some of the same problems. I don't remember specifically, but it was the it was the you know it was the standard thing. You know, these two surfaces are flat in theory. Why don't they go together? 3D yeah, printing. Yeah. Another thing I find with people's files that they sell is they don't do hollowing. Like there's no hollowing because one you want to use as little resin as possible because that stuff's expensive right and also i mean especially in the uk because everything's bloody expensive in the uk and uh, secondly you you don't want to have a huge chunky piece of resin because it's heavy like you don't want it sitting on a rod to just snap itself off it eventually so i try to hollow as much as structurally possible to keep the weight down and also it makes a nice space to put all the leds and the lighting in as well so i can't remember who it was but someone posted i don't know if it was on instagram or facebook recently in the last week they had a 3d printed bear and they painted it done a beautiful job and it sat in their cabinet for two years and then it more or less exploded this huge Mm -hmm. crack all down one side and just liquid resin poured out. Yeah. And it hadn't been hollowed and there were no vents. And because no of that, drain holes. Yeah. it was basically uncured resin inside yeah. and eventually heat did its work. Could be. Yeah. It yeah. sounds, yeah, that sounds more like a situation of where they didn't have drains and it trapped yeah. resin yeah. rather than 
and just be. Or if it did, they were poorly located or yeah. something. Or yeah. And uh, sorry, just on a rant about people who don't don't do their files properly. <laughs> uh, people who don't put anywhere to put supports that can be hidden. <laughs> right. I, I, that's yeah. a bugbear of mine. That having to sand off all the little nubs of supports and yeah. just angle it so that the supports are hidden, and then all you've got to do is a quick quick run over the sanding block and whack it in. <laughs> well, that's just like your spirit attachment points on your kit. It's yeah. people not thinking about oh, clean up yeah. and building it. Exactly. Like, Why didn't you just put it on the other side? <laughs> but I think what you just said is that you're all, that, that you're not building, you're not orienting all of your prints at 44.3748 degrees. <laughs> the approved angle. Yeah. Yes, the approved angle. Not using the your golden ratio. Arc, arctan calculation or whatever horse shit yeah. is the latest well, fad. For example, on my ghost, it has like essentially a cross structure of the ship and then it has four like triangular pieces that go in each side of the cross. And I've designed the triangular pieces so that you can essentially print them with the point down and you'll get a nice flat surface at an angle, pull your supports off, sand it, and then it should just fit nicely into the rest of it, which is nice. such a simple thing to do, but most people just don't do it. Like, which I, is fine if you get it off a thingy verse or something. Somebody's giving it away for free anyway, so like that's fine. But if you're paying, it's like anything, if you're paying for it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some of the ones on CG Trader can be hundreds of pounds for a file, and you're like, mm. well, you didn't, you didn't break it down properly. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the people, eh? The, <laughs> the the democratization of these technologies has has. Mm. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Obviously, it unleashes you know all kinds of possibilities. But it all, unfortunately, some of those possibilities are not good. Yeah. And and you know, and this is this is what happens. And um, yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's kind of a, kind of the wild west, but it's super cool stuff. And I'm sure Chris is tired of talking. Yeah, about sorry it. about that, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> now it is making me think though. It came up on a, another podcast recently that, that they had a couple of people on. Won't name the podcast or the people, but basically they got onto that age old get ready, you two strap yourselves in. Three uh, D printing is cheating. <laughs> now there were two issues with that for me, and I don't even three D print. One is that they seem to think it's it's like buying a DVD and you just put it in the machine and off it goes, yeah. which is not the case. I mean, you know, yeah, sure. If the DVD might play the movie, it might not, it <laughs> might play a different movie. It might play the movie upside down, you know, uh, but also DVD, Jesus, how old am I? But also um, <laughs> this idea that somehow magically it designs itself and that, yeah. you know, at a competition, it's cheating to have a 3d model compared to scratch building. Yeah. And they don't realize you've basically scratch built it just, in a computer, yeah. you know, it, it's still scratch building. It's just in a using different tools. I think that comes to there's a proliferation of people who rip files from like video games and stuff, and then just sell them as three D printable files. And obviously, they don't print well. Like they're not set up for three D printing. Uh, if you're lucky, you might get it to work. But so I think there's that sort of that's proliferated that people are like, oh yeah, it's just you know, it's just ripped off files from somewhere. Like just stick it in, print it. Like, well, I still think though we're in the place where if, if a three D printed model is on the the competition table, more than likely the model designed it. Yeah. I think we're still quite a long way away from it being basically all just downloaded files. Yeah. 
Well, what I was wanted to get to though was something that really interests me, and we don't, we haven't really asked it before. But I'm really interested in why people model, what it is they get from modeling. What um, is it for you that it gives you? It's a sense of peace, right? That's what it is. Uh, I've long suffered from mental health issues. I, I have lifelong severe depression, like which I know has been discussed on various like interviews. I, I believe you did an interview with uh, someone about mental health at one point. We it's come up a few times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah modeling it it makes that that noise in my head go away. No, I like it. It gives me peace. I like the slowness of it. I like the fact that it's not a screen like to stare at again. Uh, unless you're designing. Unless you're designing. <laughs> um, Even then, though, it's not like consuming, is it? It's, yeah. it's um, yeah. That joy of using your hands to make something as well, something very visceral about, you know, a thing that you made. Like it's your thing. There's only one thing in the world that looks like that, and you made it. Like it gives me a vast sense of like peace and satisfaction. Like, uh, plus, like you know, machines are cool. Like so, they, uh, <laughs> I like building building things. I like miniature versions of things. There's something immensely satisfying about a tiny version of something. Like. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. Um, for me, it's just something that's an integral part of who I am. Really, it's a, a, as everybody I know, all my friends and my work colleagues will say. I never bloody stop talking about making models. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, in fact, they're all quite looking forward to listening to this when it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only because they think you'll get it out your system. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'd I'd like it to be something that I did, you know, more professionally as well. Mm. Like, yeah, admittedly, I being an archaeologist is cool, but I like to joke at work that I'm an average archaeologist, but an exceptional model maker. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a hard question to answer. Really, it's just it it is it's it's part of my life. It's as much well, of my it, life. As I think I think else. that's that you answered it beautifully. I mean, uh, you I know, so. every, everybody, everybody seeks their own path and finds their fulfillment in, in their own, you know, in their own ways. But I think we can all sort of relate to, you know, some of what you said for sure. Um, I think know. humans are an inherently creative species and we want to make stuff. We want to create things like and uh, this is how I like to create. I can't draw or paint. I can't sing. I can't dance. But I can build a 135th scale Sherman. Right? So well, that's what I'm good at. Right? And like has been discussed many times, I would hesitate to call myself an artist. Like, But I like to make art if I can. <laughs> so, Yeah, that's a whole other conversation right there. Do you get more satisfaction out of making the model or looking at a completed model? Or uh, to be honest, once it's finished, I don't care anymore. Like I want to, I want to build the next one. If it's really good, it will go in my like you know the IKEA debt elf and sit there with the, <laughs> the good ones. Like uh, if it's rubbish, it will go in the box in the loft. <laughs> so. I, I honestly I very don't display very many of my finished models. Like uh, they'll they might replace one of the ones that's up there at the time, but it's the process of building that I enjoy. 
no i like i like the building i like i'm not a big fan of painting to be honest like but weathering i love weathering like i think you're very good at both but i mean it doesn't mean that uh you know just because you're good at it doesn't mean doesn't have to be the thing you get the satisfaction from weathering is where i get all of my creativity out i think yes i like making nice dirty models (laughs) are you an oil paint weatherer oh yeah yeah i use a bit of everything like really oil paints are the big one there no uh, I've been recently quite obsessed with AK's new uh, sort of Starship sci-fi enamels. They're quite mm. good. I like the colours of them. They're pretty good. Right? But oils, you got to love oils. Yeah. They're so versatile. There's just oh, so much okay. stuff you can yeah. do with them. And, and uh, yeah, I might just... very occasionally reach into the drawer where all the pigments are and like take one out and hesitantly open the top of it and go, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah, no weathering because you can just you can go absolutely to the nines with weathering if you want. I often get com- I ever often get called an overweatherer. No, <laughs> <laughs> don't get me started. You really are one of our tribe. That's that's like a that's like a badge of honor. If, if I mean if, if in our tribe, if you haven't been called an overweatherer, you you know your credentials are in question. <laughs> I mean, my aircraft probably wouldn't win anything at an IPMS show, but <laughs> <laughs> that's a badge of honor. Yeah. Uh, talking of shows, which do you go to shows? I have never been to a show. Like uh, no? always, been quite scared to go to them. To be honest. After why is that? Yeah, why is that? Because you've you've clearly got the skills. After experiences as a woman in the model making community, it's not been uh, upbeat, shall we say? No, it's not been there. Uh... No, well, we're not women, so we can't tell you anything <laughs> about that. But uh, could you tell us? Yeah, what we're talking we. About? Yeah, this is this is opening up. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. you know, on this show. There's not much we're afraid to talk about, and yeah. this is a topic that we have only brushed up against in the past. Well, so, and to be honest, we felt kind of weird talking about it as men because yeah. you know it's pretty bit, unqualified, yeah. condescending. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think me and you, Chris, talked about it when I emailed you. Uh, you yeah. did send us an email. <laughs> uh, do you want me to read that out? Yeah, yeah we should. Do, yeah, we should do that. It's it's all, it's really rare that we get to read an email from someone when they're here as a guest. Oh, to them, <laughs> oh, God. usually we uh, we just tell them about it later. Uh, sorry, about me a second. I should have had it ready, shouldn't I? I'm so come organized. on, man, get your you. shit together. You're the boss. All right, now I should say it was in response to the fantastic interview we had with Martin Drayton, which was an incredible interview. Yeah, really great guy. Uh, just wanted to say I enjoyed listening to your podcast and have recently caught up on the latest episode following a bit of an extended break from the bench. I wanted to say I appreciate you guys having these discussions around discrimination in the hobby. The interview with Martin was excellent. It resonated with me a lot. I'm a woman and a member of the LGBTQ plus community and I have had my work dismissed for just for being female. I had sexist comments aplenty and had homophobic comments whenever I mentioned any pride in my sexuality which is an important part of who I am. Uh, I'm pleased to hear that you guys took what Martin was saying on board, and I agree there's a lot of difficult conversations to be had, some with people who don't want to listen. Now, um, we you know, we didn't want to read that out as part of our normal letters and go into it. Uh, we thought it was better to get you on to talk about that yourself. So um, obviously, though, <laughs> we wanted to talk to you about your modelling as well. Can you tell us 
you know, let's cards on the table and let people know exactly what it's like. What is your experience? Uh, well, as a woman, there is a lot of over and not so over sexism in the modeling community. Uh, we all know somebody who's like, you know, she who must be obeyed, like the way oh, a lot of modelers God. talk about their wives. <laughs> yeah. Sleep my kit past the wife, all that bullshit. Yeah, oh. you, the way they talk yeah. about their wives, you wonder why they're even married. <laughs> you wonder why they married to uh, okay. the wife's married to them, yeah, for sure. It, I mean, I know for a lot of people, it's not, they're not overtly sexist, but the comments make women very uncomfortable. It's like, this isn't a hobby for women. No, this is a hobby for men who, and women are the ones rolling their eyes in the background. Well, it's just, it's another one of these things that's just like regurgitated. It's a regurgitated trope and it's just lazy. I mean, come on, can you not come up with something better? There are some incredible female model makers out oh, there. Like yeah. in the Warhammer space, there are absolutely loads of mini mini painters who women mini painters are incredible. Uh, yeah, I was I was telling a telling a non modeling friend yesterday about how amazing like some of these Russian women are who who paint oh. paint figures and miniatures. It's like what the fuck, man. Yeah. But, yeah, but I think even in that space where they're far more represented, there's still a lot of sexism yeah, yeah. and um uh like dm sexual abuse and stuff like that. yeah yeah there there is a lot of that that goes around uh i found that anytime i post a german subject i get a lot of uh messages from people with anime nazi girls on their profile picture who suddenly think that oh look there's a woman who's into german stuff she must be a nazi no, uh, so, just like me. Yeah, you know, you, once I tell them I'm queer, they tend to leave me alone. No, so. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, there's all sorts of comments like that. I remember you guys talked about the the figures, like figures mm. with, uh, should we say, exaggerated proportions. Mm. Like, I mean, I'm not going to begrudge anybody who makes them. Like, half of them are probably just doing it because it's their job. Like. <laughs> Like so, I mean, on some of them, but also is very high sexualization of women, like which you would think in twenty twenty three was something we might do a bit less than mm-hmm. we do. Going, the, I would say it's going the other way. If yeah. uh, I don't know, I'm I'm just I lurk in a Facebook group, and I send these guys screenshots from it occasionally. It's called the Female Figure Modelers something or other, and. It's, I mean, look, I'm not easily shocked. I I don't make a lot of moral judgments. I like pretty girls. But this group, it's like it's the new porn. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I'm on, and I'm honestly, one of the things that I'm shocked about is the fact that it even gets by the, the Facebook robots. Mm. Yeah. You know, when we can't even post a picture of an ME109 with a swastika on the tail without, you know, threats from Facebook about getting shut down. And these figurines that these dudes are posting, I mean, it's like not the most extreme stuff that's out there. But when you got some naked girl tied up with a ball gag in her mouth, I'm like, bro, really? I mean, it's it's kind of like a seems to be a trend, and I don't know. How do you feel about that kind of stuff? I, I I'm not a fan of it. I think it's gross, to be honest. <laughs> like yeah, personally, I mean, each to their uh, own. But 
yeah. you know, there's a time and a place, right? And I'm not against having female figures and even like, you know, like attractive female figurines and things like that's fine. It's the grossly overproportioned and very heavily sexualized figures that seem to be the popular thing now. Yeah. I mean, I would really want them to make more just normal female figures for things. It's almost impossible to find them. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and and um, I there's a little bit of hypocrisy out there too because you know we've seen some guys who are like oh yeah you know we need less of that thing and then immediately it's hey look at my figurine of i, I don't know there was an example i was thinking of of uh like a some girls with a tank mm-hmm. and this was his idea of non-sexualized and i was like are we looking at the same thing yeah because i don't think we're seeing it quite the same way <laughs> I, I don't know. A lot of this sort of stuff just makes it very uncomfortable. I, and obviously I can't speak for all women in modeling, but it makes me uncomfortable to enter a lot of spaces because I'm like, well, it's quite obvious that this isn't a space for that's accepting to women. It's a space that objectifies women right, rather than... And at best, it's kind of a locker room mentality, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and then if you make if women make complaints about it, they get oh well, like you know, you're just being sensitive. You're just a snowflake. Like mm-hmm. oh, it's like I've heard more than once. Oh, you on your period? No, like, oh, that. Jesus. Yeah. Um, so as I said in my email, I spent a long time where I didn't show any of my work online at all. And if I, if I ever did post, I posted under pseudonyms so that people wouldn't know my gender. That is so not cool. I mean, and you know, Martin talked about the same thing about hiding his ethnicity. And and if that just makes me, that, that gives me eyes of rage because nobody should have to do that in order to be able to participate in a community about a hobby. Yeah, I mean, the first time I posted on the large scale planes forum, like, uh, to be fair, the the mods were really good. They messaged me because they'd had trouble before. And they said, if anybody gives you any issues for being a woman, like, let us know and we'll ban them, basically. But the first time I posted, the first reply I got was uh, somebody going, men going their own way, right? Which is like it's a dog whistle term for incels, basically. Uh, yeah, I'm no. familiar. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, yeah I've, I've I've heard about some of that stuff. And this is what I found interesting about your talk with Martin was uh, with, like when he was talking about racism, but not it's not always very overt. Like people like to use dog whistle terms to see what they can get away with in a community, and they're generally the minority group will be like, well. I know what that means. Like I know, I know what that means, and then they get shouted down for pointing it out as being too sensitive. It's like oh, he didn't really say anything; he didn't mean it, like that sort of thing. Uh, so, okay, so I, I'm probably about to fuck this up just as bad as I did with the interview with Martin. But I'm, you know, I'm. I feel like that the only way that we make these situations better is by just really getting into it and talking about stuff like this openly. So my question for you, okay, as a woman is, so I'm asking you this as a, I'm in a, I'm a, I'm a dude. I like pretty girls. You know, what can I say? And, and I, and I, I also really appreciate amazing artwork 
And so there's been a few occasions where, like, are you familiar with Arno Lazaro? I knew you were going to mention him. Uh, I may have seen his work, but I'm not. I don't know the name. He is. Uh, he is an incredibly talented painter. Mm. Um, and he sometimes chooses to do very sexualized female figures, and I've posted it a few times in SMCG, and I will swear to the end of my days that I'm that I'm putting it there. Because of of his technique, he he uses oils largely. His technique is incredible. Like you know, like he'll do stuff with a sheer uh, dress, and somehow manage to show the things mm-hmm. underneath. And and, and I, I, that's my thing. I, I I really it it just happens to be on that type of a figurine. So here's the question I'm trying to get to: is so as a as a dude who likes dude things as a a person who likes beautiful artistic things and appreciates that kind of talent. Also trying to be a moderator in a social media forum, Mm -hmm. trying to be inclusive, trying to make sure that we're not being disrespectful to women or anybody. How do I walk that line? What, What advice would you give me? See, it's a difficult one. I don't think there is any straight answer to it. Like all things in life, it's complicated. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> I mean, people always want, like, people want uh, people to always say, oh, this is what you should do and shouldn't do. But that's never the case. It's like, uh, it's always going to be, there's, everybody in a group is different. So they're always going to behave differently to different standards of um, sort of uh like sexualization for instance is like some women are fine with it for instance as you say like you like pretty women i am a lesbian so i also like pretty women <laughs> we have <laughs> <this> in common <laughs> so i mean i don't i don't mind i don't mind overtly sexual sexualized stuff but it's the way it's done like yeah. a lot of people who do it are uh sexualizing all women like uh, whereas I can appreciate somebody who I like a lot of the figure painters who do some of the ones who do anime figures and stuff, although the figures are quite sexualized. Like their some of it's like, incredible. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, there's a whole thing with, you know, them looking very underage in there, but that's a whole mm-hmm. different thing. Yeah. yeah. And see like that. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up because like, for me, that's a line. Like if I go yeah. and I see an amazing figure painter who's done an incredible job but it's a Nazi chick. I'm yeah. not. I'm not reposting that. Nope. Sorry. No. If it's one of these, like you said, weirdly underage-looking things, and there's octopuses and all the the thing, I'm yeah. like, nope, not doing that. I'm probably blocking at that point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm. I'm just like, okay, we all have our lines, but but like, there's always this fear: is my line in the right place? Hmm. It's it's a difficult one to tread. Like I've got nothing against like most of these figures. Like it's the ones that bother me are where it's the attitude that people who painted them have with it. Because some people will paint them and they're perfectly fine, entirely not sexist, like entirely not misogynistic people. They just found a figure that they really liked and they're really good at painting it. And that's like you say uh, with the skill put into it and that's fine but you get some people who that's all they do 
and the way they talk about women is as objects right so i mean again i i i don't know where to where the line would be really like it's a hard one to walk it's for me i know it when i see it yeah I can, there you go there you go I think I, I think that there's that there are some easy rules like for dudes, yeah. for example, like in real life in the workplace, like my rule to myself and anybody who worked for me, don't touch women. Mm. Period. There's no reason to. Okay? If they offer to shake your hand, fine, shake their hand. Otherwise, there's zero reason in the workplace for you to ever have physical contact with a female. Like that might seem overly harsh or whatever, but if you observe that rule, you're never going to get in trouble, right? I'm English. We don't like to be touched full stop. <laughs> there you go. I'm, Unless yeah. it's someone we're intimate with or a family member. You yeah, don't put your right, hand on right. us. You so, so, but my point is that like it's, it's not as easy when you're on the interwebs. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and so I think we're we're dealing with a with a moment in time right now with all of this stuff where it can be really challenging. And yeah. I I love that you are so willing to just like have such a frank and open conversation about it. Uh, I mean, I've been doing it my entire life as a member of the LGBTQ community. I grew up as a queer teenager in the 90s and it was not a fun time. Like, that was not a good time to be gay. <laughs> like, uh, so, for instance, I got punched in the throat so hard that I, my throat is wired with titanium now to keep it in place. Uh, yeah, that's... What? So we have made a lot of progress in the last 25 years, I will admit, um, but there's still a way to go. Right? Uh, for instance, there's always yes. a whisk that would be rolled back as well. Yeah. For instance, once I put a pride flag on my Instagram profile to celebrate Pride Month and then got accused of being political. Right? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, my sexuality isn't politics, it's who I am. <laughs> like, it's no more political than anybody else's. So them being straight yeah right yeah. i'll say yeah. like you know whenever anybody gets homophobic i just get really up in their face about it that usually ends conversations quite quickly and you know what there is a problem in the hobby with homophobia i see it quite a there lot. is yeah i mean it's getting better to be fair it's better than it was 10 years ago when i originally stopped posting my work like uh it, it's got a lot better like um but like i say there is a way to go and sadly people don't want to listen to the minority groups like martin said it's it, it's we can say don't do this all you want but people aren't going to listen to us we need everybody else to say it as well right? well that and uh i mean look the scale modeling community is a sausage party <laughs> there's no doubt about that and if you're just going to depend on the rank and file, it's not going to it's not going to no. go well. Uh, I think it falls to folks like us who are doing podcasts, who have a platform. Those of us who are, uh, you know, moderating uh, Facebook groups, any kind of social media, we have a responsibility to do better and to uh, because. Look, I mean that's 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 where the power is, unfortunately. And so let me ask you this. I don't are you a member of SMCG? 
I don't have a Facebook account, so oh, well, there you uh, go. I, All right, fair enough. Okay, uh, well, I fair try enough. To avoid most social media. Well, and that you know, and that just man, that just sucks so bad because the whole like the whole time you were talking about you know engineering um, your ghost kit and all of those things, I'm like, man, you're one of SMCG's people. Like, like you would like, I feel like you would just fit in there, and it just makes me kind of ill to think that like we miss out on somebody of your talent and and mindset. Because of that other kind of bullshit, that's just that just sucks. Yeah, it's a it's a common problem for a lot of people in minority groups in a number of hobbies. Like yeah. right? they they stay out. Uh, I mean, I often hear, "Oh, there's no women building models. Women don't build models." Right, and I'm like, "Well, yeah, I do. Here's my Instagram profile. You can see what I build." Like. Uh, yeah, it's something that needs to be addressed because I, I follow a lot of incredible women model makers and their accounts get no, almost no hit, no like reach at all. Like they're just plugging along doing their thing. Like, and it's great. There's a incredible 3D print, women doing 3D printing projects, like all sorts across Instagram that I follow and they just don't get the reach that they should do really. Uh, I, I wonder whether it's, an Instagram thing or whether it is that they're women. I, I was, I was about to say that some of that I think is an Instagram thing because like for me personally, I just don't find Instagram to be a good facilitator of, no, of it's, really uh, not. it's not great for, for, for having those sort of in-depth conversations where it's not know, a conversation. Yeah. No, yeah it's not where, I mean, no. it's, I, for me, like it's eye candy. I just go through there and look at the pictures and I, I don't even like, I don't even comment, I just, but so well, there's some I'll... of that. There's some of that, but then again, the fact, I mean, being able to comment is part of the problem on other mm-hmm. social media platforms. So, yeah, well, no, I if you're getting less, if you're getting less likes though, and less comments and less mentions, mm. then there's obviously something going on. If it's you know, if you can look at it and say women always get less, yeah, is I mean. It's apocryphal, but from what I've noticed, women seem to get less on theirs, unless they unless they're constantly following the trends and stuff and doing doing what's necessary on Instagram to boost. Uh, but I don't know, maybe I'll have to maybe I'll have to create a Facebook account to join SMCG. Well, <laughs> so okay, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put me and the whole group on the spot right now. That would be a huge. That would be like I would. That would be a big deal. I mean, if if you felt like the draw of any of that was significant enough to want to, you know, cross cross that line again, that would be a that would be a pretty big honor. And I personally, as as the OG admin and moderator, you know, Matt McDougal, you know him, and, and he'd be right here with me if he was sitting here. He'd be nodding, shaking his head, the same thing. We would look at that as a great sort of quality control checksum kind of a thing because we we do we try to walk the line in there we try to moderate with nuance mm-hmm. um, you know we try to do things differently and the question is are we doing things enough differently and and because I'd like for it to be welcoming you know but I also 
love the fact that we have a rough bar room style humor thing in there. You oh, know? Well, that's fine with me. I'm I'm from London, <laughs> so uh, I can swear like a sailor. <laughs> yeah, I roll in like a steam train, being oi cunts. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to beep for the first time in the show. <laughs> Sorry about that. Love you it. You know, in from it. my neck of the woods, that's a term of affection. So. In it. Australia, it's punctuation, right? <laughs> yeah. Or also friends would be like, yeah, I use it all the time. Well, you you know, you heard what we said uh, on the interview with Martin where, you know, he, he had posted about the thing that happened in the Airfix group or wherever it was. And I very purposefully asked him to cross post over an SMCG so that we could have that conversation. We could, yeah. you know... And I was super proud of the way that our gang handled their handled their shit, um, as I always am. You know, there's I. So anyway, look, I get the occasional person who doesn't quite get it, and it, it's quite funny how quickly they get <laughs> absolutely piled on. Not just by the not by the admins, even just other members. Yeah, we don't just I you know we, set them straight very quickly. I think for me, um, I turned forty last year, and. Uh, I've started to give less of a shit, to there be you honest. Go. There like, you go. Uh, and the older I get, the less I care. <laughs> so yeah. I'm quite happy to roll it, roll with the punches and, you know, give it back when people give it to me. So, uh. I think there's a, a couple of things we kind of brush past, though, and I don't want to sort of dredge up things. No, but um, maybe you could descri- describe what, because uh, all us guys, we don't know because we're guys, especially us white guys what your experience is on social media what what the kind of things you have to face i mean obviously you talked about the uh, the incel dog whistle but yep. there's more to it than that right and don't yeah. be afraid to be specific because Frank. i i think yeah. i think that there are a lot of dudes out there who are in denial oh no it can't be that bad i would never say something like that yeah well i think most of us guys are ignorant and i want to yeah. kind of well there's a phrase yeah. for it it's called being a woman on the internet um every woman i know has had a whole slew even beyond modeling there's like a whole slew of crap from the internet they uh i've had people send me random dick pics i've had like you know the uh oh will you do this will you do that like i get every now and then get an instagram message going you're so pretty and i'm like how do you know there's not even a photo of me on my account like (laughs) so uh you get all that. That's that's uh, unfortunately part and parcel of being a woman on the internet. Like uh, everything you do is immediately lesser. Like I frequently get um, corrected for things that I obviously have more knowledge about. Like by people, like uh, I hate to use the term, but mansplaining. <laughs> like, <laughs> I get that a lot. Like I'm like, yeah, I actually, I, yeah, it's like I I studied this. I, I published a paper on it. Like, I know what I'm talking about. And it's like, well, I read a book. Like, and I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, well, it's... That's for YouTubes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I watched a Mark Elton video and he told oh, me. Hell. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started. And I, I'm sure this goes back to, you know it when you see it. But, you know, I, I mean, some of that is just model makers being dorks. Oh, I mean, yeah. You know, yeah. that's a that's a, that's an endemic part of our of our community. But the other thing, I see it like uh, I'm friends, I'm Facebook friends with with several female modelers. And there's this one gal in particular. She's a 
star she does star wars stuff she does some 3d printing stuff and you know she'll post a picture of hey here i am with i think she's working on a yamato right now and she posts a picture of herself holding the thing oh yeah and there's dudes who are like stunning you look amazing today and i'm like okay I'm going to give you some slight benefit of the doubt that you think you're just being friendly and mm. and complimentary, but that's because you don't understand what it's like to be a chick on the internet. Who's yeah. being like, seriously, if there's a rule, okay. Like the no touching rule, here's one. Don't fucking say anything about how a woman looks period. Yeah. There's that's- no reason to do that. At all, ever, under any circumstances. Am I right? Well, I will give one exception to that. There are accounts where there are times when women are specifically looking for people to comment on their looks. We know that. <laughs> but when you're holding so, up a picture of your, yeah, of your scale model, that's not... Mother. Right. That's not that time. Hmm. Right. And like, I know read the, the room, account, bro. <laughs> yeah, I know the account you're talking about. Like, Amiagra... Agraphy, I think. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but she builds incredible ships. It's not her. It's not her. Totally totally different girl. Her name is uh, Dana Dana Moss, I think. And and she's creative and cool and and, okay, I'm going to be, all right, I'm just going to be totally fair. Sometimes she does post selfies. Mm. Okay. I feel like if... Everybody does. Yeah. Okay. And, And look, I feel like if a girl posts a selfie... Then you, and tell me if you think I'm wrong about this, then she's kind of opening herself up to commentary about her looks. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. I mean. To, to an extent. Yeah. Uh, I'd also say there's a line that you can go past that goes yeah. from commenting on someone's looks to being creepy. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really people. easy one there. Never post a comment on someone's looks that you wouldn't say to a guy. Yeah. There you go. You, if you wouldn't say it to someone's face, then don't on the internet. I don't, know, I don't know, though. I think I'm more likely to tell my bro friends, hey, dude, nice shirt. Looking good today. What's up, handsome? I'm not. Yeah, I, but you wouldn't say you look hot. No, no. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, if, I mean, DMs, if, I mean, if I did, if I did, it would be like bro humor, you know, being ironic. We're having fun with it. Whereas I'm not going to say that to a girl that I am not in a certain kind of relationship with you just just don't right just don't read the fucking room but like going going back to there being a woman on the internet thing is a lot of women i know will take precautions on the internet that a lot of men that i know don't know for instance i don't post pictures of what i look like on the internet i don't tell people how old i am like i don't i don't put any details that could be traced back to where i live or what i do like generally like because like i know people who've had bad experiences i know women who've had bad experiences they put the wrong bit of information online and suddenly they end up with a stalker right which i don't think i've ever met a guy who's posted something about where they live and ended up with a stalker so like uh, maybe a brick through the window (laughs) 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 i mean joking aside though i mean this is what i wanted to get at that when i asked the question there is, from what I understand, and I'm asking, not not telling you, sorry, <laughs> mansplaining, but um, that there is a constant background level of hostility, it seems, on the internet. Yeah. 
for women. Oh yeah, definitely. Which we just don't have to deal with, no. do we? Will? Well, you do. Will, I do. Like <laughs> <laughs> but that's different. That's a different thing. That has nothing to do. That has nothing to nothing to do with my smoldering movie star good looks. <laughs> well, it's like if women do things that are traditionally considered feminine to do then it's like oh you're just doing the thing you're expected to do but if we do stuff that's considered traditionally masculine we're doing it to attract the men like oh you're only doing it because you want to attract men it's like i see um women posting models and it's like oh you holding your boyfriend's model no it's like no they built that they made that like it's uh yeah so it can be unfriendly but to be fair, there are a lot of people who are very supportive out there. My inst- on my Instagram, people are incredible. They're fantastically supportive, and they'll immediately shut down any shit that gets started. So, yep. And 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 then and those of us who are, then of course we get that. Oh, you're just virtue signaling. You're yeah. just trying to. Oh, you're just trying to be. <laughs> you're right. You're just. You're just trying to be yeah. an ally. And I'm like, yeah, and. Yeah, I also like immediately ban anybody who uses the word woke on my account. Because, like, <laughs> mm. <them>. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what do you expect? We've we've only got like an hour of four. We can't get into that. <laughs> one. Yeah, you've yeah you've you've brushed across some things that we could have spent the whole rest of the afternoon talking about. So that would be a different um, podcast. I mean, yeah, part of the reason I reached out to Chris was when he mentioned in Martin's interview that you had a topic on, like, women in model making, mm. but didn't actually have any women on the panel. Yeah. <laughs> well, you Which, look, we, we fixed that. I mean, you have <laughs> knocked it out yeah. of the park. I'm so glad we did yeah, this. Yeah, you've been so good yeah. today. Thank I mean, you on so a broader much. note, I'd like to point out, and it's not anyone's fault, but there are no female podcast hosts. Like in any of the modeling podcasts, as far as I know, <laughs> well, that might be. Something. Will you're fired? Oh shit! <laughs> I'm replacing you. Oh, yeah, about to say. Yeah, I love you, Will. Yep. We we had to uh, we we had to do a chat or an interview a couple of weeks ago because Tracy was on vacation. If we'd only known, yeah. we could have we could we could have had you fill in. Ah uh, well, I'm always available. You know. I only do, oh, only do half the job at work anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it's it's improving. Things are getting better, but it's it would be nice to have more people who are willing to point out when somebody says something shitty. No, I feel there's a lot, the people are far too quick to go, oh, they're just joking. Oh, they're just mucking about. Oh, you know. It's just a model. Yeah. They, they, or they, they'll go, oh, yeah, it's just their age. It's what, what they, the, how they were brought up. It's like, yeah, but it's not the 70s anymore. It's like, <laughs> we live in 2023. Start treating people as you would want to be treated. Well, Sophie, you'll know this as, as well as I do, or better than I do, I should say, sorry. Growing up in the 90s in the UK, homophobic jokes were fine. Yeah, not a problem. Oh yeah, definitely. And even into the 2010s, it was still fine to go. Yeah. Oh, that's so gay, mate. Right. I yeah. I grew up. I'm 53. When I was in grade school, we played a game with a football, an actual football, the oblong kind, not the round, weird one that you guys use. Not the real one. Yeah, and the uh, and and the game was really simple and fun for for boys. If you had the ball, 
you were the target. Everybody could tackle you. And so it was just this for the whole hour of recess or whatever it was, you're just running. And as soon as people are about to tackle you, you know, if you're afraid, you just throw the ball. And if somebody's dumb enough to catch it, now they're the target. The game was called Smear the Queer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I had a lot yeah. of it. Like, I, I, use the word queer to describe myself because I think it's an all-encompassing word that a lot of like LGBT people fall under but I know a lot of LGBT people won't use the word because they've had it as nothing but a slur shouted at them like, well it's I mean am I am I am I correct in saying that this is a bit like what we talked about with Martin and mm, you've read my mind that's your word yeah. you you guys took that word back that's yeah. your word. It's a term of solidarity. You guys get to use it with each other. We don't. Well, I mean, I used to go to Pride back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And back then, if you were in the Pride Parade, people used to throw stuff at you. Right? Mm-hmm. They used to shout stuff at you. Like, and uh, we used to shout back, we're queer, we're here, and we're going to go shopping. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> We can see the progress. If you go to a pride parade now, people bring their kids. It's a lovely day out. Everybody's having a good time. Yeah, it's like a carnival now. Yeah, in fact, last year was the 50th anniversary of the London Pride Parade, and Mm. they had people who marched at the first first one in 72, and uh, they were up on front, and they were just, some of them were crying over how much, how different it was for them now, so. The first one was like the Battle of Cable Street, wasn't it? (laughs) Well, we we are making progress. That's I don't I don't want to you know be a complete downer about everything. We are we're getting better. No, well, yeah, but the... my point was though talking about the nineties is that we've changed. Yeah, you know, people of that generation have changed. So there's no excuse for people that were born in earlier generations. Just saying they come from a different time. Yeah. Well, fine, but leave that time then. Yeah, and live in the now. Yeah. And even me as a like queer woman, I had some shitty opinions about things back then, but I've learned to be better. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we all do. We all we all brought up in our our bubble when we're young, like, and then you learn to embrace new people. Hopefully. I think for me, being a Londoner, and London's an incredibly diverse and multicultural city. Like, I've always been quite open to different groups and different people. Like, uh, I've got some friends who come from deepest, darkest Devon who uh, probably had never seen a, a like person of colour till they were like twenty five. <laughs> no, actually, yeah. When I was growing up in the nineties in Devon, I didn't see a person of colour locally. There was like one. In my school of like a thousand, oh, you know. Wow. So, see, whereas I went to a five thousand person state school, and white mm. people were in the minority in my state school. So, and we had people from all over the world. No, so I, I don't know. I guess I grew up as you know one of those woke, soft lefties that uh, everybody complains about on the media these days. <laughs> well, we are getting better, and it's good. But it also just I don't know. It just kind of sucks to think that we have to. That we have such a deep hole to climb out of that even, you know, this amount of progress is is a big deal. And I, you know, people, it's I, why 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 do why, why do we suck so bad? I, I think I think unfortunately the answer to this whole UFO hearing they're having today is pretty simple. 
it's not it's not your UFO obsessed. I am. I'm so down the rabbit hole, but but I think I think the answer is simple. No, it's not aliens because why would they want to fuck with us? Oh yeah. We're just a bunch I mean, of mates. if if they are if 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 they are, they're just they're just flying by so they can point and laugh. Yeah. <laughs> It'd make a good TV show, though. <laughs> right, but <laughs> right look, you, you look, you've been great and super. Look, I, I hope this does not sound at all corny, but courageous. For Thank you know, you. for and, and I, I respect that. Uh, I mean, so much putting your shit out there, being willing to talk about it, having open, honest, difficult conversations. It's not easy. We 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 fuck it up bad. We're humans. We suck at this kind of thing. But you, look, you've you've done you've you've done. Uh, what do you guys say over there? Yeoman's work today. To I don't think anyone said that since about eighteen ninety. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, look, I, oh, the only the only thing I know Sterling work. The only thing I Sterling. the only thing I know about about English is what I see on you know TV. So stop watching Outland. <laughs> Um, I was not gonna. I was not gonna admit to that. God damn it! How do you know? How, how do you know? I've, I've been. If you watch that, you'll know the English are devils incarnate oh, and yeah. cursed forever. Yeah. Um, I digress. Anyway. Uh, oh shit! I was going to say something that's gone. <laughs> we probably we probably need to say goodbye oh. because we've been at this for yeah. co- going on two hours now, and the time is just really so. F- thank you. Flown by. I appreciate you having me. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on. And I think Will uh, said it. I do think you are courageous because you said about how much shit you have to put up with on the internet. And this is sticking your head above the parapet. And we really do appreciate you coming on. Personally, I don't see it as courage. I just see it as me being me. And that's who I am. I can't be anything else. There you go. Uh, Well, I think I'll say on Tracy's behalf, I think he's going to be bummed when he listens to this because he would have loved this. And sucks that we had technology problems and he had to miss out on it. But, you know, hey, look, this doesn't have to be the last time that you are on our show. No, I hope not. uh, You know, I'll come and plug my kit when it comes out. Heck yeah. Definitely. Heck yeah. yeah. We'll have you back for that. Like, I want to see it. Tell us when that's out. Like, even if you just come come on Facebook so you and I can talk about Fusion 360 and private messages, I would love that because I really want to see what you're doing. It sounds really cool. Yeah, I can send you some of the renders I've got so far. Yeah. Fuck, I want to see the files. I want as soon as it's ready. I want to see the files. I want to get in there and see how you're doing stuff. Oh, wow. I'll send you a copy when it's done and you can nice. print it out and maybe make a video for me. You know? <laughs> All right. It's on. It's on. Oh, well, again, All thank right. you for having me. Thank you. Thanks, Sophie. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Scott, the creator and owner of the Scale Model of Supply, Australia's largest manufacturer of hobby paints. Our premium airbrush-ready acrylic acca paints are designed specifically for use on plastics with a comprehensive range covering all popular modelling subjects including military, aircraft, rail, auto, sci-fi and more. And not only that, but we also have a wide selection of essential hobby tools and now, infinite colour and new range of water-based paints for miniatures. So to check out our range and to find your closest retailer, please visit our website at scalemodeler.com.au. So when quality matters, choose SMS Paints. The Models from Ukraine podcast brings you all the latest news and views from the model manufacturers of Ukraine and the modelers that support them. 
with interviews including Mini Arts, ICM, Armoury Models, Res Kit, Dora Wings, Ace Model and many more, you can find out what some of the best model companies in the world are doing and how you can help them and Ukraine. Check out the Models from Ukraine podcast on your podcast app of choice or at modelsfromukraine.buzzsprout.com. And we're back. Tracy, uh, you've heard the interview. Do you want to give us your thoughts first? Yes. Um, I definitely kind of like pushed Chris a little bit to to get me a copy of the interview um, before we did today's episode because not only do I I want to be able to speak uh, authentically on having listened to it, but I also just really wanted to listen to it because, like I said, I'd, I'd gotten a little taste of it when I could hear everyone and no one could hear me. Uh, and it's just, it was a really, really good interview. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I created a little group, uh, with the four of us and, and, uh, sent a message after I listened to the interview, just saying like, oh, you know, I'm so bummed to have missed this because like Star Wars, oil paints, Indiana Jones and archeology, span like, it's just like, you know, uh, 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 calling people out on their bullshit, um, and, and, standing up for yourself. These are all things that are like in my wheelhouse. So, uh, I was bummed to not be able to participate. Um, but I'm thrilled that, that Sophie is now back on Facebook and, and somebody that I can communicate easily with through messenger, which I'm going to keep doing. Um, and I just think it was a great conversation. Um, I'm bummed that I miss it, but it's, you know, that's, on, that's only, uh, how I, you know, that's a little portion of like my own little regret, but hey, it was a pretty massive conversation, covered some really important topics, you know. Uh, it starts talking about homophobia and misogyny in the, in the modeling world, um, which yeah, unfortunately is, it's out there. Um, but again, like, like the interview says, uh, you know, when you see it, say something about it. Like you can't, What's what's the saying, Will? You are the the standard you accept is the standard you walk by. Yeah, and mm. and unfortunately, those things are just out there in the world, and you know I feel like uh, that we've been fortunate to have some guests that allow us to talk about how it affects this particular small piece of the world, and you know Sophie once again she was just great, just fun to talk to, graceful. Super cool, you know, unafraid, unafraid. Funny. Yeah, and funny. Yeah. You guys got and, on like uh, a house on it, fire, man. Yeah, it was cool. Really good. And she is yeah, and she's back on the back on the farce book. Uh came on SMCG. Really proud of those, you know, really proud of the savages over there. Showed her a, a warm welcome. And um so that really made my day when I saw that join request. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it helps to, to be in a, a gathering or a group that isn't ignorant, you know, that doesn't, that knows how to behave and knows what the subject at hand is, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's no reason for homophobia and misogyny or sexism to be involved in discussions about model making, mm-hmm. unless you bring it there. You know? Or anything, but this is the this is the space where we have the opportunity to exercise some influence and do some good. Right, an oasis. 
mm-hmm. you know. I think as well the, the important thing for me getting Sophie on is I realised talking to a lot of people that I don't really when you're a guy a straight guy and you look you know straight white guy like us or whatever um, you don't know what it's what there's not people of colour or women or um, LGBTQ plus people are subjected to because you, you're not you don't get it and I just wanted people to know what people can go through you know being on the internet and being in this space and they might not see it because it happens sometimes in direct messages and stuff but it definitely happens and, and if we're aware of it then that's a big step forward to dealing with it well i mean it struck home for me because you know i i live in a i live in a relatively small community with a quite a, a large um lgbtq population that is always been there like these these people are members of the community that i grew up in um so it's in some ways it's i have to like kind of remove myself from that to think about a situation where you wouldn't be treated as an equal or a friend or a valuable asset to a community because i'm i live in a community where that you know where, where the value is attached to that um and I'm exposed to uh, a lot of the good and the bad about being a part of that community through the young people that I have working for me at work. You know, they're they're encouraged to be themselves. Like I'm, I'm as long as you show up to work and do your job, man, I don't give a shit. Um, so, you know, maybe I have a little bit more exposure than than a lot of people. Um, but it's nice to it, it deserves more exposure than it gets, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. And I wanna just I mean we said it before, uh, but I know we all agree. I just wanna thank Sophie for having the courage to come on and be so open and upfront and you know I mean, put herself out there. She came on and talked to two strangers about it. Yeah, and and, and she was yep. just like you know, just so easy to talk to about tough stuff, and that 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 made it made it a lot more comforting. You know, well, I, for me anyway. She and, she doesn't strike me as the kind of person who's going to back down about it, or not at all, not know? at all. I mean, I that's the, and I love that is like she walks that line very beautifully of of I'm not going to put up with your bullshit, but I'm not going to be a militant asshole either. Right. I'm just living my life. If you bring it to me, right. I'm, I'm going to. You know, I'm going to stop you in your tracks. I'll be your Huckleberry. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, which is like, uh, that's just, I wish more people were that way, you know. Uh, yeah, but I'm appreciative sure. of the fact. That's a great that, example. Yeah, I'm appreciative of the fact that she is. Good stuff. And also, she's a really great modeler. So go and check yeah. out, uh, see her stuff on SMCG. And also go to Rose Model Works on Instagram uh, and check it out. I know you're going to love the models she's got there. She's really good at lighting stuff. We didn't even get a chance to talk to her about that. Um, she's done some really nice lit cockpits in Star Wars stuff and things like that. So go check that out. Yeah, I like her weathering yeah. and her color choices. Yeah, she's really But I'm good a Star Wars fan, so I love seeing <laughs> people do that to uh, execute it to a good standard. Yeah. Well, she all that stuff's great. But you know, I have to say that on top of all that, she is also... I mean, she's she's one of my people. She she's an engineer in 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 disguise. Yeah, and and she's already joined up in our little uh, Fusion three hundred and sixty and three D printing think tank, 
and as I predicted, fit right in. Yep. And and uh, you know she's she's got some talent in that area as well. Well, uh, but impressive. I what I noticed about the conversation that you guys had because you know like I didn't nod off whenever you started talking about three D. She actually she thinks about it logically. <laughs> like she's like, why don't people do it like this? So you can hide. I knew, yeah. yeah. Like when I, she I started talking was... like that, I was like, oh my God, yes, yes. I, mm. I, I knew that you were going to be all about that. Yeah. It seems like it, it seems like, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, it just seems like common sense, but we all know it is. That's all it is. Common. <laughs> it is common sense, and you're right. It's not that common, yeah. but like to hear somebody <laughs> like over and over express like how much common sense they have, you're just like, I'm over here. Working on my model at the bench, listening to the interview, like, yeah, man, go. That's right. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, and no, I'm excited about her uh, her kit of the ghosts, which is one of my favorite ships, too. So, yeah, again, like, I'm, I'm flooding you guys with all the, the excitement that I had listening to the interview that I unfortunately wasn't uh, able to be a part of. So, I hope everybody else enjoyed the interview as much as I did, because I fucking loved it. Well, I'm going on vacation, as you Americans say, holiday. As we say here, Holly Bob's if you're an artist. Holiday in the sun. And, um, if, well, I hope so because it's been pissing down with rain all summer here and not yeah. even warm. Anyway, so I won't be here for the next interview, but you two have got someone great lined up. I won't say who it is at the moment, but do tune in next, uh, in three weeks' time to hear that. And uh, I'll be back for the chat though. So uh, I'll get to edit the interview and listen to it. And then, uh, <laughs> and then talk to you guys about it after. So. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. Hope you've enjoyed this one. If you want to send us some feedback, we do love feedback. Don't forget our interview with Sophie uh, on this episode came about as an email she sent us about the interview with Martin, another great interview. So send us your emails to sprucutersunion at gmail.com. Send us your money to sprucutersunion at patreon.com. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, if you want to contribute to the Patreon, that'd be great. Um, and we'll catch you next time. So say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, everyone. Bye.